You are listening to Thursday Nights, Season 4, Episode 148. So uh, a couple things here. So what we'll do is we'll kind of just kind of continue how we were doing with the go around. But if you don't know, if you don't have a plan for your character, you can call for Revel's Lift to supply you with an idea. And I, uh, Summer Kevin, uh, created a lot of shit. So don't worry. There's plenty out there. I want to, as a disclaimer, I have some specific ideas of what I wanted Scream to do, but I want to say now, I would love for yes. all of the elements and people to... Yeah, My plan is, whatever you you're doing... What you did, um, Kevin, over the summer, just so we have an idea. What's that? Like, if you give us just a little, like... Uh, 24 pages. Like... <laughs> Uh, so basically, yeah, what I did was I created the concept for the town, the map, um, a schedule of holidays, uh, three NPCs for each parish, um, and I know I created some adventure prompts. The, are the parishes well. the, the different communities? The neighborhoods, yeah. yeah. Although now we're down to three parishes. <clears throat> I basically took what you guys intera- interacted with and kept it. And cut the rest. Okay. No more gnome. You. No more gnome. You yeah, made like out. a middle a middle earth appendix. Tell me about the out reader's out digest version of this town. It never uh-huh. make the cut. Gnomes <laughs> always got <laughs> there more. Love those gnomes. We filmed the movie, and then when it came down to editing, we said, "Listen, gnomes, we <clears> love <throat> your scenes, but it just doesn't." They go, "You don't have to tell us. We get it. <laughs> We're not read with the audience. Halflings <laughs> are just so much more charismatic." Even though they don't have the bonus. The agricultural halflings, (laughs) we have the humans in Red Step, and then in the Lotus Glade, we have the the Ganassi, right? Okay. Uh, Yeah, is it GIF or GIF? (laughs) I've heard it so... I I don't care, but I've heard it so many times both ways. It took me so long to go from Tifling to Tiefling. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But real quick to recap one more time, it's halflings... Well, yeah, I'll do a little uh, recap of what yeah. we've learned about the town. Okay. So, it is spring in Revel's Lift. As the seasons shift and the snow melts, feeding into the old man's beard of the southern mountain range, uh, worship and holidays shift from worship of Gond, god of craft and winter, towards worship of Lathander, god of birth, renewal, and spring. And the holidays start occurring in the uh, parish of Lotus Glade. A Lotus Glade being an area of rice farms, flower wares, and fish wares. Um, Buildings set on little hillocks 
over marshes and irrigated streams um, with, you know, lotus pads and such floating there. A mix, of course, of water genasi humans and halflings in the area, but a majority of water genasi being kind of in charge of it. The water genasi here, by the way, tend to have kind of a pearlescent white to gray skin and um, pearls or kind of like abalone shell or shell material kind of incorporated into their skin, their hair, their beard, their eyes look kind of pearlescent. A lot of kind of shellfish motif going on. The majority of the party, however, has been staying in Red Step with Jonas Lamb, a, a wealthy merchant and kind of um, uh, default kind of uh, not ruler at all, but uh, maybe kind of a facilitator of peace in Red Step. Uh, he has a large manor near the Silken Citadel, which is the local temple to um, Millil, the god of poetry, song, and summer. And this is also where you set up Humphrey Dumphrey in his own manner. Um, but by now, you've gotten to know the parish a little more. For the first few weeks, the adventurers mostly kind of uh, wrapped up their own personal um, business and, and character development. So you know that Hawkthorpe is a parish of farms, squash farms, uh, apple orchards, kind of a bit of Americana there. However, they also raise very large hogs. These hogs are not for eating. They are explicitly for riding, labor, and pets. And they tend to be very intelligent. There's even uh, hog races occasionally. Hmm. Red are apples, or are these apples to be consumed as fruit? Uh, a lot of people pretend that they're eating apples, but there's just too much variety there. They're cider apples. They tell the children they're for eating. Do people call it Hogthorpe? Uh, they do, um, but they're afraid to call it that around halflings. They don't <laughs> okay. know. They don't know that it would be insulting. They don't. <laughs> they don't want to assume it's not insulting. I'm immediately reminded of Willow in the scene where they're plowing a field using a pig to pull the plow. Mm-hmm. That yeah. rings the bell, and all of a sudden. And the magician, the, the halflings are all sitting around talking, bragging about their fine hogs, and everyone's kind of rolling their eyes. And then, like, as the halflings move along, it's like, yeah, they go back to Hogthorpe kind of thing. <laughs> or then one of the pigs looks back and says, How rude. Clearly. Got a little monocle. Ah, okay. Um, as you enter spring, the spring begins with a feast to start the season. And spring being especially springy in Lotus Glade, where the flower farms, the floating flower farms are just blooming. The feast is held there. You can imagine steaming bowls of rice, fresh or raw fish. Um spiced with uh, flower petals and spiced pollens. Um, perhaps this is where we will start things. The end of the, the feast, the people go back to their homes. So we'll kind of do our abstract bit of week here. 
Uh, I'm going to have Drewston mostly be in the Wizard's Tower doing his research. I think we left him getting close to discovering it, and he's kind of become more and more reclusive. But when it comes to your term, what I'd love to challenge you to do is incorporate another character or two into what's going on. And also let me know where you think you would be in the town, and I will throw out uh, an NPC or two to... uh, to interact with as well. So, um, does anyone want to start things off? Um, I'm happy to. Um, is it? Can I basically go through like the the week? The full absolutely. Week here? Okay, and just we'll pull in. Okay, so I don't need yeah. to do day by day stuff. So, Scrimcorn <clears throat> absolutely loves the the feast. He appreciates. Uh, it feels, uh, you can see on his face, um, feels a little bit more like the the people that he's kind of grown up around. Not the witches, but the the kind of um, farming communities, the more rural areas. When we've been in Silvery Moon and, and these other places, or even in like the ruins, the old places, it's not quite the same as being around rural farming folk and um, kind of separated from as Rebels Lift is, separated from society. He really... Dan, let me add to that just a moment. I found uh, an actual write-up I did of this festival, apparently. Perfect, yeah. Uh, that I think will tie in with you even more. So this Where, is not just a feast. Where's the town that in, Kevin? Uh, uh-huh. What was that? Where's the what, festival what, happening? Yeah, oh, in, uh, in Lotus Glade. Okay. Outside okay. the Opal House, which is a, a very large, decadent building that actually has kind of a often has a market surrounding or within it as well. So this is actually the fisherman's feast for four days. Ooh, nice and dramatic music for four days. The people of rebels lift gather at the water to listen to sermons and enact rituals of cleansing and rebirth in Lotus glade. Fishing competitions are held throughout the mountains, marshes and lake shore. Finally, on the fifth day, a feast is held featuring plants and animals of the water, fish, shellfish, rice, lotus, and of course, various alcohols. So that is where we find. And by the way, everyone should be able to move. I set all the miniatures so that they can be controlled by everyone. So I think you can click and drag anyone you want. And is it a real quick overview on buttons here? Yeah. Any hidden gotchas? It looks like left click, drag. Left click to drag. Hold down left click for a long time to make a circle. Um, and then right click to yourself around the map. map. Yeah. I'm not able to <clears throat> move people. You can't move people. Try refreshing the screen. Oh, I didn't set 1369 to be moved by people. And if you do refresh, um, I updated my profile to be uh, someone running while in the middle of a swarm of locusts. So um, (laughs) I I can't move uh, Humphrey Dumfries or Drewston. I'll make sure. Yep, you're right. Uh, That's Taita and Q is Quellet. Okay. (laughs) I couldn't remember what Taita looked like. I remember she had like a creepy face mask. (laughs) Yeah. Back, now that I'm the DM, I'm going to do now. this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now God. I get to distract. Uh, uh, All right. <laughs> Just get back so. with eyes wide shut, reenact. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, what Titus has been up to. Kubrick has no place in the world of Thursday nights, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, all right. Uh, loves so. the festival. Is there any more? Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Scrim loves the festival. Um, and he's sitting there with his brother. And uh, this is this is nice. It's having having food from the from the land, as silly as that sounds, and people uh, enjoying this. <clears throat> and uh, you see you see in him his the wheels, those old wooden rotted druid wheels in his head turning. He says, "We need we need this place." to this town to we just stay on their good side they seem to like feasts and i'm gonna give them i'm gonna give them exactly what they want and he says hey, you want a feast i'm gonna give you, you a feast oh, it's gonna <laughs> eat the whole thing it sounds so much more <laughs> nefarious i'm gonna give them what they want <clears throat> he says brother will you help me will you help me organize feasts like this little little banquets each night until no, we yeah. until we wrap up our <laughs> until Justin wraps up his business there. I think this is a good time to <sighs> batten ourselves up before the the long winter of whatever comes next. I think you're on the right track, brother. That sounds like a really good idea. If I can if we can keep this coming, I was um, gonna be we're gonna have a good time here. He says, uh <clears throat> Okay. I'm going to gather, I'm going to see if I can grab a couple, maybe a hunter from each of these, what did we call them, the neighborhoods? Parish. Parishes. I'm going to grab a hunter from each of these parishes, take them out during the day. And he hands you a bag of 500 gold. <clears throat> he says, use this to set up, to, to buy fire for bonfires set up tables, labor to, to do that, decorations. He says, <clears throat> grease, grease palms of the, of the people here to let them know that uh, when we're around, they'll eat well, and they uh, won't, won't have a... doesn't want to say a care in the world. They'll eat well, and they'll have a big meal to look forward to each night. Um... And uh, he said, can you do that for me? Oh, yeah, sure thing, brother. Uh, uh, oil vein, like, as he takes the money, you see him look down, just kind of a little bit subtly, at his empty bag of uh, that used to carry blackberries. like a, And then he, he pauses <laughs> for a second. Off the top. And then he looks at you and he goes, yeah, I can take care of this. <laughs> uh, oil vein, you notice... Uh, there is a, a man giving you a squint-eyed look. Uh, it is a, a water genesi, um, big and brawny. Um, and he's, he's just squinting at you with that money. And uh, he says to you, Yar, did I hear you mention hunting and a feast? Are you talking to me? Yar, that would be true. Are are Genesi um, common on the, in the Sword Coast? I'm trying to think uh, how. I mean, I, I guess know. we've uh, interacted with. Um, we've encountered a few, but kind of lone ones. Oh, shoot, maybe what's not our guy? a community. What's our guy on the airship? Uh, Christopher Lloyd. Essen. Yeah. He's a, he's a Genesi. Christopher Lloyd. Yes. <clears throat> um, okay, so just want to make sure that okay, not like what are you? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I is what I say when I'm talking to dwarves. I can't say that. <clears throat> yes. 
You heard right there. So does that mean you're going after the Kraken of Lake Mulsantir? Grim pauses for a moment. (laughs) I am now. (laughs) You better have a big boat with you. That's a fish so big, it swallows anything that comes by it, be it fishing vessel or galley. Aye, the folk of Revel's Lift have been looking to hunt the Kraken for generations. My own grandpappy went out to hunt him and never returned. How many, how many days of a feast do you think a squid that size could feed this town? A squid? We don't have squids in freshwater uh, lakes. This ain't no sea. Petaluma Pete starts playing the piano nearby. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this ain't no sea. Tis a fish. The biggest fish there ever was. Been feeding off us folk for a hundred years. He says, all right. Sounds like it's enough meat. It's enough meat to give us at least a few feasts. That's a good thank you of ours to the town to putting us up. If you need a fishing vessel and a sturdy hand, seek out me fishing shack at the edge of Lake Mosentir. Look for the big jaws above the door. <laughs> I will. Uh, and, uh, and Scream is going to go about um, uh, do, doing some uh, some preparation. He's some of his some of his time. Um, I absolutely want to uh, to come in. We talked about this of of making use of the mechanics of spells. He has mm-hmm. a spell where if he spends a while casting it on the, his plant growth thing can either be instant, mm-hmm. or if he spends a while on it, um, he can make that whole section of crop have double the harvest for a year. Mm-hmm. So he's basically going to bless the crops of um, each of the, I mean, Hawkthorpe, but also there's uh, stuff in uh, Lotus Glade. I don't know if there's crops to speak right. of. In it's red, a fantasy in season. Stuff. 90% of the people here are farmers. Um, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> he blesses the crops of all three parishes. Um, yes. Well, there are rice crops in uh, rice being grown and flowers being grown in Lotus Glade. Uh, there are olive that's groves right. in Red oh, Step. That's what, oh, that's what I And uh, pumpkin okay. and, and squash Beautiful. and orchards and hot he, he basically goes through and blesses each of these and tells them about, um, spreads word that a uh, feast is going to be happening um, uh, <laughs> that night and the next few nights. Um, and he's going to say some stuff at the feast, but he'll cut over to procuring some protein. And he goes oh. over to Old Squint. Um, come to his fishing shack down by the edge of the fish fairs. You see <laughs> massive set of fish jaws above his door. There. <laughs> uh, who else says come on this hunting trip? I feel like Bear Jaw would absolutely be there. Oh yeah, that makes. Uh, and so, yeah, Scream stays in touch with uh, with everyone in town, and um, so Annie are all in welcome. But he knows people are also doing their own things. Yeah, is there anyone uh, else going on this fishing trip? One three six nine catches word, and one three six nine likes to help and likes adventure, and uh, so that sounds like a grand time. <laughs> Oil vein tags long too. Um, he's got a new bag of ba- blackberries. 
and uh, yeah, but he doesn't have the bag of gold with him anymore. So I don't know if you if you ask about that. That's <laughs> you don't. Well, he's not carrying it with him. So if he's eaten five hundred gold worth of blackberries, <laughs> blackberries so, are very expensive. Or at least how people put berries on their fingers. I imagine him doing that on his oil fingers, but just sinks into his oil arm until his oil arm is just full of blackberries. He's just like squeezing him out of his finger. Just... <laughs> or he just like, um, you know, it needs more fingers, so he just pops out a new finger and puts a blackberry on that one, another finger. and puts a Blackberry finger. So it's just like a little tree of blackberries, just like looks like a head of broccoli, like on the end of his arm. But it's he all does black. it like a, like a Pez dispenser. Like a pez. He just, his hand turns into a Pez that, dispenser. And then like a blackberry pops out. Grim, when you head down to meet with old Squint, um, you see there's reeds in the water, and just like many reeds have been kind of bent into various shapes. However, you recognize that these reeds are bent into the shape of druidic signs. And they are giving a druidic message. Hold there to the to his group. He reads them. He finds the correct angle until he recognizes the sign written in it. And it says, no fishing. What does it mean, Scream? <laughs> what is the purpose of our delay? Yarder, let's get in the boat. It is hold there. <clears throat> old squint. It looks like someone more familiar with these lands than me. Thinks we ought not disturb the natural life in this lake. They've said no fishing. Fishing these waters for generations. Who dares stop us? And you see Scrim conflicted um, as, uh, as he considers his, his old life and his, and his new groove. Um, he, says, <clears throat> he says, Old man, there was a time I would have ignored this and even gotten a laugh at doing specifically what was warned against. But I think there's greater benefit if we leave well enough alone on this one. Uh, and uh, Fishing's in me blood. I don't think these ones will be stopped by any little reed languages. Will you bear John 1369? Hey, um, <clears throat> I want to catch a big fish. Grim looks at Bearjaw and says, <clears throat> Bearjaw, this is the bear you showed me with its cubs. I would, I, it would soothe my soul to see such a, such a beast out in this lake, but it is not ours to hunt. What does Bearjaw say? She says, who is stopping us? I see no mama bear. <laughs> this, this time, it's me. I'll get us. I'll find us bigger prey to hunt. Maybe not soon, 
but we have to let this one go. Uh, 1369 has lived in this town for a long, long time. Um, and as a result of that, not exactly tight on acquaintances with most people, but most people are at least familiar with 1369. And 1369, you know, knows the big names in town, people at the market who, you know, rip them off frequently. Um, <clears throat> and so it says to Scrimcorn, who, excuse me, who left the message that you read? Someone who can speak the language of the land, Druidic, only taught to those who have a dedication to protecting the natural order. Hard to say who, <clears throat> but Scrim takes a moment, and he would like to use his tracking abilities to see if he could tell how old, maybe, this was mm -hmm. left, or if there's any small, like an artist's signature, um, yeah. small details that would suggest uh, any kind of uh, specific deity or commitment of, uh, of the writer of these words. Go ahead and make a survival check. Um, 1369 is curious to see if it has any guesses as to who this may have been. Uh, how do I? Oh, can I just roll? Uh, just yeah, just type slash roll. Been in the area a long time, and you can do you know one d twenty plus five or something like that. Slash roll. Yeah. Um. Twenty, and I have a plus eleven, so bonk. So it is a twenty-three. Wow. Okay. So as uh, we'll we'll get to one three six nine in just a moment, but okay. as Scrimcorn looks around. He's looking for signs where if he would have left a message, what evidence might he leave, knowing only another druid would see it? And uh, he recognizes, he, he starts to see signs of footprints and kind of um, uh, trailings in the water. And when he goes to the water, he sees um, areas where it looks like... Um, kind of slithering tracks coming out of the water and then turning into humanoid footprints that seem to kind of go around the reach. Now, this is footprints like in moving water. So these footprints were almost wiped away. You just barely recognizes where like shells were upset and things like that. This the is definitely someone... The mud where the grass yeah. was disturbed. Yeah, exactly. This is definitely someone who had taken animal form, and then transformed into humanoid. But furthermore, he finds what seems to be some sort of calling card. He finds a hermit crab, but on its back, on its shell, is growing a lily flower, just out of the shell itself, almost like a tree emerging from a rock. This is a solid-sized hermit crab, not a tiny little, but just a, a pink lily flower growing from its shell as it kind of skitters around. It almost seems to be guarding those reeds from any little uh, fish that would be nibbling on it. You see it kind of clacking to guard those reeds. Uh, 1369, you have been around here and you've met most of the people in town, but there are some people on the fringes who you've never really gotten to know. Maybe like and, a history check? Oh yeah, go ahead and make a history check. I think that's a slash roll. 
Actually, I can probably do it with the the D and D thing and see how to do that. Yeah, D and D Beyond should work out here. There you go. There oh, you go. So yeah, kind of going through your, your knowledge of who would be a druid in this area. Uh, druidic magic isn't that common. There's some healing magic used for making potions and such as at Opal House. But otherwise, you know, there used to be rumors of gnomes being in the area, but uh, nobody knows about that anymore. That was just a rumor. Um, otherwise, really, the, the spellcasters tend to stay on the edges of society. There's rumors of a wizard up in the old man's beard who worships a godling known as the Pale Shadow. There are rumors of uh, clerics who go up to worship the big bears of Big Bear Mountain. But then he also knows there's an old, or there's a hermit who lives out on the edges of Lotus Glade, where it's no longer irrigated and the water just flows freely, making it into just a vast, muddy marsh. And it is said that there is a hermit who lives out there who has a knack for speaking with animals. Hmm. Uh, one through six, nine relays this information to Scrimcorn as far as, you know, these various groups and as far as people who might have been responsible for this message. Um, upon hearing this, he looks to his companion and says, All right, change of plans. I think we should go. Talk to this individual. And uh, hey, are you talking about the bog woman? <laughs> He's about he looked over to see if old Squint was interested. He's looking Clearly. squinty. He says, I'm planning on going fishing, whether you're coming with me or not. Old Squint has taken down the biggest fishes out there. And this one ain't gonna stop me. And he grabs a trident off the wall. I won't tell you your business. But we'll speak to this bog woman. But take your time departing. He's not going to stop uh, from fishing. What's the reputation of this giant fish that's been eating people over the years? Heard rumors. There's, I mean, there's also storms that sweep through, and it's a big lake, so it can get pretty tumultuous out there. Sure. Um, So every once in a while, fishermen go out on that rainy night or drink too much rice wine and go out on the lake. They always blame it on the creaking of Lake Molson's here. 1369 has never seen such things. But I do want to say 1369, uh, you recall talking about the bog woman with Quellet. Uh, Quellet being interested in kind of the uh, folks with uh, oh gosh, I actually pressed the back button on I always do this. Uh, Quellet being interested in the uh, kind of those with uh, haunted past has wondered about this bog woman and has even tried to go out there before. But the bog and the marsh is hard to navigate and even seemed to be turning him around purposefully. Hmm. One three six nine knows that uh, perhaps. Hugh would no more be interested in joining. Uh, Eric, if I'm saying anything that doesn't sound like you, you can definitely No, not at all. This is a good segue to kind of connect, weave the stories together a bit. 
mm-hmm. for Quellet specifically, uh, you know, joined the brothers at the early days of the festival. Um, this is actually a very special and important time. Quellet, as you come to kind of learn more of him, and you, you had a bit of a reverse introduction, you come to realize, compared to everyone else in Rebels Lift, whereas Rebels Lift kind of has met a very kind of, you know, congenial and and, and open, you know, gentle person who um, who frequently provides this amazing resource of the ability to speak with one's departed ancestors. Um, you know, a few have gotten like a, a, a flash here or there of some of Quellet's greater powers or maybe his greater purpose. But you were introduced to him kind of full force in, in that that particular capacity. And now as we kind of return to some weeks of more kind of regular quotidian life here in uh, in Rebels Lift, you see really what, what others know him as, which is a man of the, the people, a man of the community who really works to kind of be tied into and connected with as many people in Rebels List as he can. And he comes to the festival and walks amongst the people kind of like shaking hands and saying hello and, and asking after people's families. And um, he, he doesn't belong to any particular group, but is kind of uh, fr- acknowledged in a friendly way by, by all who pass. This isn't reverence. And there's very few who kind of like stop and banter with him maybe as a friend, but you know, he's someone who's acknowledged. And in fact, in fact, he came to this festival to even perform a speak with the dead ritual on a few recently departed members of the festival. And this is a very upbeat kind of uh, ceremony, which he invites Scrim and uh, and uh, Oilvane to participate. And, and Quella is his goal after as he's get, gotten to know you all uh, is is really to connect you with as many people as possible that he knows and make introductions and break ice between you all and many of the people here who are curious about you and you know who you might benefit from knowing more about. And so as you kind of spend some time in this festival and even leading up to Scrim's kind of like uh, Scrim's uh, uh, inspiration to create a, fist, a, a feast, and you already have made, you know, half a dozen or more connections with people who you, you like and are kind of locals here. And, you know, you... You departed for this this fishing adventure. It wasn't really Quellet's kind of you know uh, scene. He he's there amongst the people provo- pro- providing this this kind of important service, and what he sees is a very opportunistic time to kind of be amongst a lot of folks gathered together with uh, you know positive spirit and and uh, to to have kind of some some of these kind of like e- yeah, rest kind of like put people at at ease with the passing of a few departed. But as you come back and there's Maybe maybe one three six nine comes and clues him into this other this kind of this other direction. Uh, he becomes very interested and says, <clears throat> "Yes, yes, you're you're going to find. How are we going to refer to this this person in the bog? The uh, the, the hermit is that was the hermit. Called? Yeah, if you're being kind. Yeah. <clears throat> ah, uh, a venture to 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 visit with the hermit. I've I've been long waiting to to connect with her and see what it is that takes her so far from the community and whether whether she has experienced any loss herself. I never have am able to, to to make my way out there. She is not an acquaintance of mine. I would join you if uh, if you would let me. 
Yeah. I think you're all fools. The answers are in the Lake Molson tier, not in those creepy bogs. Not today, old man. And with his merry band, I think Scrimcorn is going to set out, try to uh, use what information we have between Qualt's past, um, 1369's hearing of rumors, and uh, some tracking from Scrimcorn. Out over the boardwalks, over the irrigated rice fields and flower, floating flower farms, fish wares, um, until you head out of town and you see before you vast, boggy, marshy hills covered in drifting fog, the calls of crows and ravens. Um, And you see there's going to be no easy path over this as you search out for the Hermit of the Bog. So the first challenge here is as you're walking, you're just trying to find paths. You follow a little deer trail, but it kind of peters out. You go along kind of a stream, but it starts to get broad and too muddy. And you realize this is going to take, at this pace, you're, you keep getting turned around. The mountains are to your left, the lake to your right, and then you're, the lake's in front of you. The mountains are to your right. You could get lost out here for Days easily. What are you doing to find your way? Right, um, up, Sam. One three six nine um, has the background feature wanderer. You have excellent <laughs> memory for maps and geography. You can always recall the general layout of terrain, settlements, and other features around you. In addition, you can find food and fresh water for yourself. It's not as important. Um, one three six nine. Basically, he doesn't. It doesn't sleep really. Um, it mostly, you know, hangs out, but uh, when the wizard's not, wasn't, you know, telling him to do this and that and the other and wasn't really, it would just wander around. And it's been wandering around this valley for a long time. And uh, that's kind of why it got the idea that something is weird about this particular location, because like it was specifically like not navigable, but it was at least able to sort of navigate to like the edge of that weird area. If that makes yeah. sense. Like, so it was able to, like, kind of, like, get us most of the way there quickly. 1369 has been up in the mountains, so he's seen the valley, and he has kind of a map mm-hmm. of it. So, uh, 1369, go ahead and make an investigation check as you try to find your way through with advantage because of your memory as a wanderer. Okay. I would also accept survival. I'm, for right now, for reasons that might not be clear, I'm going to go with investigation. Good enough. Well... That is a much worse role for me. But it is what it is. Hey. And with well, advantage. Hey, sometimes you... Oh, with advantage. So I'll yeah. just do it again. Okay. So you... 1369 is following the map in his head of, of when he's seen this bog from up high. And based on the map of his head, they should be making more progress than that. But he keeps finding himself again at the edge where they were before. Even following a trail and keeping the mountains to your left, keeping the lake to your right, suddenly you're emerging from just a a patch of fog and the mountains are to your right and the lake to your left and you're back at the edge. There is something happening here that no knowledge of a map allows 1369 to get there. And 1369 comes to the realization that something magic is happening in this bog. I see the situation has not changed from my previous visits to this location. 
It had been some time, but I was hopeful. I mean, old Squint's probably still loading up the boat if you just want to go back that way. Just want to go back to him. <laughs> we tried. Oh, what are you guys trying? Are you just wandering forever? Uh, Scrim has a spell commune with nature. You briefly become one with nature and gain knowledge of the surrounding territory. In the outdoors, the spell gives you knowledge of the land within three miles of you. In caves and other natural surroundings, it's limited to 300 feet. Spell doesn't function where nature has been replaced by construction, such as dungeons of towns. You instantly gain knowledge of up to three facts of your choice about any of the following subjects in the area. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm doing the thing I'm not supposed to. I'm reading the whole thing out. Oh, that's okay, because I don't know. Can, can I? It. Yeah, you can link it. Should work. Post yeah. it. Uh, it just says display in VTT. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, that'll work. Did it do it? Yeah, now we can all read Ooh, it. Yep, perfect. Beautiful. Oh, oh, and you can drag the thing across so it's less of a narrow whoop. No, you can't. I, I don't I know make how that thing works. That side window bigger. There yeah, we go. That, uh... Okay. Huh. Um, does this sound like. Yeah, that's train? perfect. So tell us what uh, Scrim does here. Um, so. Uh, and it's also. Um, oh, this is like a. Oh, yes. Wow, so it's a ritual. Fifth level. I'm, this is I'm big. casting it as a ritual. I forgot. Wow, this is um, cool. So I can cast it as ritual, not to preserve the spell slot. I just think it's cooler that way. Of course. Um, it's a little bit different than a guildmaster judge in the city of Waterdeep. You're having to acclimate again a little bit. This is true. This is true. I'm going, <laughs> oh, I, can, I can commune with nature. Um, <clears throat> uh, and um, he sits down. He doesn't take out a censer of, of incense. Um, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't squish any bugs. Uh, he... Uh, says, uh, <clears throat> oh, yeah. hold a moment. Give me, uh, <clears throat> give me a little bit of silence, if you will, and uh, and just sits down in like the shallow water. So it's you know it's a few. So it's maybe water up to his waist, and he, uh, and he puts his puts his hands not like just gently you know gently on the fingertips. He just puts his hands relaxed. So he's sitting just kind of cross legged, and um, and. He he sits in the water. So it, it's a solid ten minutes, um, and uh, and those nearby hear him uh, whispering to himself. And and uh, you don't hear him whispering to himself. He's whispering, and he's saying, oh, "Hawk of the <clears throat> Hawk of the East and Salmon of the West, give tell me, tell me who has been in this land and who who this. I will I will <clears throat> respect those of yours." That you, that you wish to protect in this land and give the respect to those who would protect you, but I need to understand of the people and the places around me. And uh, whispering things like over and over again, just kind of this kind of uh, pleading, uh, kind of conversation going on. Um, not as a not as a command to otherworldly spirits, but just a request. Um, just a request, this kind of yeah, uh, respectful, um, uh, not begging, but just a respectful conversation. All right. What three facts do you want to learn here? Well, for one, prevalent plants, minerals, animals, or peoples. Um, though I suppose that's uh, that. Then powerful celestials. The most numerous insect. The mosquito. Does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There are a lot of mosquitoes here. I found out today while doing research for a lesson that there are 
one million billion ants on Earth. There are one what? quadrillion ants on Earth. I've heard one there quadrillion are a ton, and they like outweigh humans. One million billion, money. which is what you say when you don't know how many of something there are. You go uh, a million billion. Sounds Name like a scientist just that, was... that number or the number twenty are the largest numbers on the world. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a, a what, entomologist, an insect person, was like in a bar with a guy who's like, yeah, I study whales. They're like huge. And he says, well, they're like a million billion ants. Way more oh, yeah. than whales put together. There's so many so, more so ants than whales. So powerful uh, or he's prevalent. Looking, he, he's specifically building this around, trying to find this person. Uh, powerful celestials, etc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, and those are from their planes of existence or terrain and bodies of water. Um, uh, he's actually go with the influence from other planes of existence. Just uh, you know, he wants the the very the supernatural uh, information about this place. So he wants to know, you know what is extra. So he receives messages from nature. Now, is this like a vision, or does he see signs like animals moving in a certain way, and it means something? Well, it's 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 definitely not a vision it is the it is the waking thing of he looks over and he sees a butterfly flapping slowly and it's like oh there's a fae there's a fae uh, creature that lives there and oh there's yeah he sees a stork in the water standing upon one leg hunting for fish and he knows that there is a, a druid that protects the animals of this bog um he sees a uh, uh, caterpillar molting and the recognition of mortality, of the cycle of mortality, of rebirth and such, shows him there is no celestial, elemental, undead, nothing supernatural here. And yet, when the butterfly molts the brilliant colors its feather of its feathers of its wings as they dry lets him know that there is a touch of the feywild here but just just a touch just a sprinkle all through this trip out here one through six nine has kind of been like kind of like a dog when you take it on a hike or like at one point it's running way in front and then at one point it's like running back and forth and it's just doing that constantly but then upon they're like, I need silence. It just sits there and is unnaturally like <laughs> artificially silent and immobile and just sits there unmoving for the entire duration of this ritual. At the end of the ritual, Scrim stands up and says, <clears throat> thank you, 1369. That was true silence. And the Feywild is the also known as the Plane of Fairy. Um, and it's where the Fey originated from so yeah i'm gonna say there is an influence of the feywild here perhaps in fact that would connect with kind of the the magical uh kind of uh abjuration magic that's turning you around hmm. um, well it's more marks he relates with the group except they've already wandered in the in the bog for some time now uh how much he enjoys being there he says uh of all the places in Revel's Lift, this is certainly the calmest. The spirits feel no unrest here. I, f- I sense, I sense no, sense no gathering of those spirits that we see elsewhere in this place. It's a, it is a place of peace. 
I must be sure to not disturb that peace. Then we should certainly approach this hermit as guests on this bit of land that I think they feel a domain over. And he uh, maybe uh, instructs people a little bit on. Um, I'm trying to think of of uh, yeah, how knowing there's a, a some kind of magical barrier here that's not letting you pass through. There is a druid, a powerful druid, that's protecting it, and it's connected to the Feywild. How are you getting through this barrier? Mm. Trying to. He uh, conveys kind of the information to the group and is kind of. Uh, anybody got ideas? Any ideas? Will Vane have any ideas? Mm. He's eating blackberries. <laughs> eating blackberries. He was uh, previously in very, you know, like in this heavy train of thought. Like he was trying to remember something, but just thinking back on the current, thinking on the current conversation, he just says out loud, uh, "What if we just attack it? Can we just attack it with some spells or something?" Attack what? If we if we could target <laughs> any kind of magic barrier, if we could target it, that might do it, but I think we need to come in as more more as guests. And uh, uh is it is, let's uh <clears throat> let's see if maybe we could get a get a uh, <clears throat> any help from those from the other side of the veil. Not the veil. It clears his throat and he says, yes, the... He pauses as he's heading off into conversational territory that someone could see as a little bit uh, impolite. It certainly is unusual, fair. This is the, the dead of this world of Faerun must pass through the Shadowfell to achieve their final rest. And the Shadowfell itself stands in opposition to the Feywild. I have passed through the Shadowfell times before, and my magic takes me through those lands as I move. Uh, Perhaps moving through that Shadowfell may avoid some of the barriers cast against us in the Feywild. He does have the spell Dimension Door, which is not built for long-distance travel. But my flavor is that this Dimension Door, you could call it similar to Nightcrawler's magic, actually passes him through the Shadowfell, which is a source of his power and his haunted backstory. Mm, that's um, frightening. He proposes perhaps, you know, Kevin, you, I'll, I'll leave it to you to maybe mix how we might want to add flavor to the mechanics here. This is a little bit more of a kind of an in-combat spell where you're going 500 feet. But uh, my idea is that either they could find, try to identify the barrier, like where the limit of the Wild begins and try to shoot themselves beyond it or mm-hmm. do something else flavor-wise that might work with what you have in mind. But that that would kind of be Quellet's proposal mechanically. Like, Let's find the barrier where the Feywild begins and see if we can simply go around it. Yeah, I'll say 1369 has kind of found that barrier by leading kind of through it a couple times. And so you kind of stand at this area where it's almost confusing to your eyes. It's like looking at kind of like a labyrinth. 
you can follow like a deer trail or a muddy bank for a while and then it kind of it's like a, one of those optical illusions you just realize that you're no longer following it and you're looking a weird other direction you realize this is just the edge of it hmm. i can only bring one other with me and he looks to scrim and he says if we can get beyond the uh the the barrier that holds us back i would need we would need you as a guide to bring the others along or help parlay our peaceful trespass in these lands is there perhaps some way to communicate i know from observing the people in town that typically they do not appreciate when people enter their houses uninvited maybe a shouting or calling or Knocking on the door hey, or something to that effect? Guy. Um, Scream uh, thinks if, uh, calls if there are any, uh, it's a druidic language, but he's trying to think if there's any druidic, uh, practices or, or customs that kind of come an with. Messenger? Um, unfortunately, because I went literally months without using it once. Can we say you have animal messenger today? That would be. This is during a week. Yes, you have animal messenger ready. You were going out to get a big fish. (laughs) You want to send a message back. True. Yeah. (laughs) Scrim, Cassie says, yes, even if we can't pinpoint this individual's location, can at least send a message that we're trying to find her. So what animal? What message? Um, uh, trying to think of uh, an egret, an egret. Yes. Catching, striking fish in the uh, in the the wetlands there, and uh, and he kind of catches a fish and lures one over, and um, as it gets close, weaves his magic and uh, whispers into it's it into uh. It whispers a message into its ear to pass on ear hole. Uh, into its ear hole. It's a bird ear hole. Um, and uh, that says uh, Hermit of the um, of the marshes. Bo- call me bog woman. Cool bog woman. Call me old boggy. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, we seek to speak with you. Um, and uh, and mean mean no harm on your lands, uh, and would prefer to uh, to not wander, so as to avoid touching these untouched lands as much as possible. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That okay? I don't know if that made grammatical sense, but it's druidic, so it's kind show of us the path that we may not wander astray. There we go. Right on your lawn. All right, the egret flies off. And just like before, you're watching it fly, and then it's like it kind of shimmers. The shimmer. And you can't quite follow where it... Egrets. As you wait for it, uh, Quellet, are you also going to try your little dimension door here? I would... uh, I mean, again, there there was some logic into what 1369 said, and Mm-hmm. He uh, looks to Scrim to say, he says, uh, Love the Quillet miniature. 
Yeah. I, yeah. You, you got to pull from, you know, the session itself. Keep it topical. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly uh, right now. Scrim nods that. and says, <clears throat> take us, Quellet. And stands with you. Um, on the shoulder. <clears throat> kind of saying some kind of atonal, strange kind of uh, vocalizations. And you see kind of a, a, a gate appear in front of us, but just, just scrim and quell it. So perhaps whatever scrim's reaction is, is uh, seen as maybe a little bit queer by the others because they're the only ones that see. And it, it is a it is a gaping maw of darkness that kind of appears and then perhaps Scrim thought for a second that we might step through that gate, but then the gate rushes over us <laughs> and we are kind of a, have a kind of a, 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 a cold, hollow feeling washes over us. We hear, you hear kind of whispers of the dead, even I would say the damned, as for a few short seconds, we are being kind of pulled through planar space and then... As quickly as it happens, we're deposited in the extremely serene and very, again, specifically in the plains, the Feywild and the Shadowfell are juxtaposed. So you find yourself in the utter opposite uh, kind of sensation and surroundings as we burst through the other side. And you see that you are no longer looking at that confusing maze of a bog. You're turn around and you see the rest of the crew looking at you one three six nine and oil vein but they appear to be gazing like past you and kind of looking like where are they gone where are they gone um and when you look behind you you see a few gentle hills leading down to kind of a small hollow that is kind of um, uh, another marsh but this one is just filled with the most beautiful lotus flowers Every color you can imagine, some multicolored or even changing prismatic tones before your eyes. Uh, bright dandelions, like little dandelions, bright dragonflies, like little okay. embers of fire flying between them. You see storks and egrets and cranes amongst them. Um, and then at the very center on a small knoll uh, sits a hut made of green reed. Uh, there is a woman outside it, and an egret is standing before her. Seems to be, she's crouched down listening to it, and then she looks up in your direction. See, this is a middle-aged woman, another water uh, genasi. She is dressed in um, clothes made of living green plants. Uh, reeds and vines and leaves. She has uh, reeds and, and uh, green plants entwined within her hair as well. Um, and as she looks up at you, um, she kind of stands up shocked to see visitors to her bog. And she calls out in a voice that seems to echo from the flowers around you. And she says, approach carefully, tread not on a flower, for if you do, my vengeance will be swift. 
Scrim well, looks says, to Quill. It I says, wait here, Scrim, please. Uh, Scrim nods and says, seriously, don't step on any flowers. Yeah, and he, uh, he's not moving at all. <laughs> Quill yeah. sits down and crunch. Yeah, he, uh -oh. he whispers up in his breath. He says, perhaps she would not appreciate my true nature. Let's have you do the talking. Um, a renowned flower picker. <laughs> the addiction. Someone heavily flowers. touched by the Shadowfell, I'm sure would be sniffed out by someone so in tune with the Feywild. Yeah. Uh, right. Scrim, Scrim you making your way towards her? He does. As he you do so, Scrim, uh, you see all these beautiful flowers, and then you get, it's like it's slightly tingled in something. You look down, and you see um, a bit of fishing net has washed up into this marsh from the lake and it has tangled up some of the fish that are swimming around the roots of these lotus flowers. What do you do with this? Just walking by it. You see, in fact, a few of the fish are tangled up and gasping for water. I was screaming with a druid, but just as a normal person, You'd be like, oh, not okay. Um, he's going to, as gingerly as possible, uh, untangle the the fishing net from the wildlife first, from the fish first, and then see if he can see if it's a small enough bit that he can pull it off of the uh, the lotus there without disturbing the flower. Make you can do a dexterity. Uh, uh, let's do a. Survival dexterity check. Okay, I dig this. Uh, I just I don't remember what my actual bonus is because I have weird <laughs> expertise on it. So it's plus eleven, but that's my for wisdom. So that's minus three is eight. My dexterity, so it should be plus ten. Oh, only plus. Only plus ten. Uh, and so I should be able to do this. We'll Although disadvantage because you're missing so many fingers. Um, no, <laughs> at some point that will probably be really uh, key here. So this will be at minus one. And I'm going to roll it. Did it do it? Oh, gosh. I'm getting really dramatic here. Um, all right. Absolutely. You are able to clear this netting. Uh, I mean, it's like a ghost net. Like, it goes on for a while. And you see it's caught with other just, like, fishing garbage and such. Um, but you're able to clear it and free the fish and lotuses without breaking anything. As soon as you do so, though... You feel the water almost grab at your feet, and you are pulled straight towards the hut. The lotus is getting out, moving out of your way until you are standing right in front of her hut. She gives you a look up and down. She says, nimble fingers. Scrimcorn's appearance, I just have to say, because while it has probably worked against him in almost every other situation, his appearance screams druid. Yes. Um, just to reiterate that, I think we're all on the same page. But it's, him, it's not like this is a day that he like cleaned up and like or wore a tuxedo. <laughs> like uh, I'm a man says, of civilization. Druid, I received your message via Egret. What brings you to my bog? It has been long since I've had a visitor. Excuse me. Ah, there's a burp stuck in there. Someone cast a spell on me. It's cool. That'll work its way out. 
<clears throat> he says, I am new to these lands, but not new to this type of land. And the, and motioning back towards the, uh, the fishing nets. And certainly not a stranger to the Give me a second, because it's not disrespect that he's trying to think of, but the, the and not a stranger to the disregard, the disregard of the natural lands of the, of the guests that live in it. <clears throat> There's a man who wants to catch some great fish out in the lake, and I saw your message in town. In the reeds. How long have you. Have you protected these marshes? She laughs a bitter laugh. She says. I know of this man. Her others like him. He wishes to catch the fish. I'll have the fish catch him. I have been here for some time. Trained by the others who came before me. And passed on back to the land. Some into the Feywild. I am the last one remaining. Says there is no Kraken of Lake Molsentir. And he says, quite a form to take. That is not I. Let me correct myself. There have been many Krakens of Lake Molsentir. For whenever I find their foul nets desecrating my lotus glade, my true lotus glade. I send a little vengeance. She reaches down into the water and gently picks up a fish, forming the water around it. Then waving her hand around this floating ball of water, you see the fish start to grow and grow and grow in size until it's enormous whale size. And then moving her hands forward, she sends it towards the nearby lake. She says, is that old squint out on the water? He will not be coming back. He scrim processes for a moment. Mm. I detect a choice in front of me. <clears throat> Lives out in the box from now on. <laughs> I like it out here. You want to grab dinner tomorrow night? Let's do this. I suggest sushi. Um. Uh. I, I have to. Back. Meanwhile, yeah, I want to do like a meanwhile. One three six nine has been pestering Oil Vein just about you know this that and the other you know. Where are you from? What's going on? <laughs> Why is your arm like that? Most meat people that I've seen don't have a weird arm like that. Yeah. Is that something from the Underdark? I've met a couple of drow before. Things like that. Uh, yeah, Oil Vein shares as much... I mean, he shares information um, with 1369... Uh, pretty much like stuff that the rest of the party has heard, you know. He doesn't, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff about 
some of his past he doesn't necessarily dwell on too much, but you know, mm-hmm. he does talk about some basic details of Skullport about, you know, his some of his friends there. But uh, you know, doesn't he doesn't like wax poetic on hmm. too many, you know, too many subjects for for very long. I have never been to Skullport. I traversed the Underdark many, many years ago when I was younger. Oh, I'm not exactly older now. <laughs> when I was newer. Yes. Well, that, well I got, you know, I'm trying to think some moment on Skullport because it's, you know, it's, he's had a lot of, uh, uh, what a lot brings of good you to the surface? There are not many drow who seek the realms of the sun. Mm, that's true. Uh, you know, I don't see many like myself out and about on the surface. But uh, I, mean, I didn't really have a choice. I had to leave there. You know, there were people that were, you know, my friends and I, we did something that maybe we shouldn't have. Mm. You know, we bit off more than we, sh- we could chew and we angered some really dangerous people. So we had to leave. I had to leave. Mm. I don't even know what happened to any of them. Mm. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I wandered around for a little while after I left Scoreport. But then, I, you know, I found, I found what I found out I had a brother, a half brother. And, you know, he's how I came to be with this group. Hmm. I don't have a family, exactly. I think there may have been more like me made. I have a creator, Tytic Sequa. You know her, as I understand. Mm. Also, would you like to practice your undercommon? I have not had many much excuse to speak it in many, many years. Oh, yeah, sure. I'd, I'd love to. <laughs> and you can tell, like, when he speaks undercommon, he's got kind of a weird accent. <laughs> you know, it's a bit different from the... From I guess uh, Eastern Undercommon, maybe where one three six nine heard it. I mean, one three six nine was taught under Undercommon from like Deep Amaskar version of Undercommon. So like, who knows what weird <laughs> slang and like pronunciations of different things are? And Will Bane has a Boston accent. Yeah. Becky <laughs> Cage. Um. Back in the marsh. Scrimcorn processes for a moment and, and regards uh this this woman whose uh whose intentions seem seem clear and her the situ- her situation um does not seem deceptive in nature. And uh <clears throat> and he thinks for a moment and uh he thinks about this new life that he leads and he also knows that while he well, he does not serve those, uh, the witches any longer. His belief in, in, in a strict observance of the laws that you believe in and swift justice to those who break those laws, he still believes is right. And, uh, simply, simply sees himself as serving um uh a greater good where before he where before he knew that he was serving 
uh, a specific a specific set of individuals. <clears throat> and he says, <clears throat> that old squint, the stubborn old man whose whose actions will not be swayed. You deal with him. I'll make sure the rest of the townsfolk use no nets and stay out of the water for large fishing. A fishing pole or two dipped into the lake for a moment to catch a <clears throat> for a small catch. <clears throat> Seems a fair way to celebrate the bounty of the waters. Do you believe? She says, I do not care about their poles. It is their hooks, their nets that foul my lotus. The lotus that once throughout Lotus Glade that are now only grow here, here where I protect them. It is. I will make sure the people of Lotus Glade do not take their natural surroundings for granted any longer. And uh, and and nods to see if uh, I'm trying to think of what a druid druids aren't gonna do like a Viking like wrist handshake. There's just like a do they just smell each other's butts or something? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could just gesture to quell it. Maybe it, it, we we have other people here to to meet. Um. Uh. We have other. You're, you mean like, to uh, like other to, people are waiting to come in, uh, including Quellet. <clears throat> um, well, Quellet's there, ish, right? You're closer. Yeah, he, he's just on the other side keeping, of the. He's the keeping pond. his distance as he lets Scrim broker the conversation. Like, I guess he, out of character. He's already it, got this get out feel, and he's like, yeah. "Go talk to her." Well, let me have uh, have her respond here to okay. what you said. Okay, she gives you a long look with these very bright green eyes. She says, Long ago, my ancestors, the other druids of this valley, grew the Feywild lotuses wherever they pleased. Then the wizard Dumfrey came, and he severed the tie to the Feywild, controlled the magic, of this land. This is the last patch of fey wild lotuses that grow. It is more important than the life of any fisherman to keep them alive. But if you will enforce a cleansing of the lake and uh, protect it from the desecration of those nets, and I shall refrain from sending him any more Krakens to Molsentir. And perhaps you can come and visit me again sometime, Druid. And we can speak in the tongues of our ancestors. She he, says, I am Saivani. I am Scrimcorn. I'll take you up on that. Um, I pause there. Out of character. Scrim's planning on just leaving. Yeah. I think, I think this yeah. kind of resolves yeah. the scene here. Eric, did you have some stuff that you wanted to come in and, and 
Uh, Quellet will be introducing himself to Sevati one way or the other. Let's uh, let's kind of wrap up Scrim's scene here, and then when we come to Quellet, now you guys have kind of a, a connection out to the bog here. Quellet can absolutely be uh, an, a higher level conversation than dialogue. Yeah, he has come to to make acquaintance with a member of the town that has hitherto four completely been off his radar, which is saying something given how long he's been there and that his specific goal, he has kind of a twofold goal. One, to know and provide this service of kind of undertaker and speaker of the dead, you know, for those members. But that is kind of in service of his larger goal, which is to understand and push back against the gathering of kind of malign spirits that exist in the area. You've seen something of that already, but this is a duty that he takes very seriously. And um, coming to this place, a bastion of kind of peaceful respite, uh, he would introduce himself to Sivani to ask if, you know, he, despite not being part of the conversation, he certainly listened in. And he asked if she was at peace with her ancestors, those druids that went before her, um, and also wants to know uh, if, she, if she has, in this peaceful place, felt the gathering of restless spirits. And he kind of introduces himself and kind of brings forward this conversation. Yeah, and Saivani looked very confident speaking with Scrimcorn, another druid. As soon as Quellet comes up, you sense that she is exceptionally nervous talking with anyone who's not a druid. Not like angry or like you don't belong here, but almost like she doesn't know how to talk with people who don't have a connection to the druidic arts. Yet, and Quellet is a, a rather strange character in the sense that he is first a strange character. He looks strange, his mannerism. He also has this kind of magical kind of this extra planar connection that perhaps Savani could pick up on. However, however, as always, he is a haunted one. And when someone looks in his eyes, face unimaginable horrors and that he is no stranger to darkness. And though they may fear you, commoners will extend every courtesy and do their utmost to help you. There's something about yeah. weathered storm that is clearly within and definitely not without as he is extremely cordial and deferent, you know, and respectful. And like, there's something about that combination was just like, like the way they write this, unless you've shown yourself to be a danger to them, they will even take up arms to fight along you. There's something about this haunted characteristic that really just kind of like opens people up in a way. So you sense that Saivani would never have opened up to any other like non-Druid, but she connects with that feeling of, of kind of a haunted nature of loss. And she winds up explaining that those who came before her as part of kind of their ritual at the end of their lives, and they recognize their mortality seizing, that they actually pass into the Feywild and they use these lotuses as a gateway there. Not something that someone can do, uh, in a mortal life, they have to let go of their mortality and their kind of physical form in order to do so. But talking with Quellet, they realize uh, Quellet realizes that he can actually use these lotuses to communicate with the spirits of those druids who lived here before. And Quellet makes a little connection. Maybe he'll have to travel out here with Scrim. You know, maybe. You'll, he'll still need a little druid connection to get out here for the next few years. 
But, you know, if he shows up, he's not going to be uh, uh, eaten by a giant fish. I mean, this is, inc- this is this is blowing his mind that there is a place where that seems so shrouded from the uh, the ills that seem to plague the rest of Revel's Lift. And on hearing that, you know, Humphrey Dumfries magically kind of altered the planes for his own designs and and created like a limitation of the Feywild. He's thinking whether that there's there's any connection between these and perhaps these brave druidic spirits might be a path forward to the greater salvation of the of the of the town as far as he sees it. And he just he's kind of he's filled with these thoughts and is but you know yeah respectfully he's maybe a contrasting to myself. He's not a long talker. And so you respect mm. despite these thoughts, you know, res- respectively, kind of like a pr- thanks for the time, and we'll come back, you know, on, on in a in a, in, a, in in good time, in due time, to uh, converse more. Um, as we kind of wrap up this scene, um, Bearjaw and Old Squint did encounter that giant fish that she sent into the water. It's too late to call it back. Sam, can you roll a d6 on an odd bear jaw kills the fish? On an even, they got knocked out of their boat, and bear jaw winds up carrying old squint back to the shore while swimming with one hand. Perfect. Uh, here the legend the of the Kraken goes on. That's a odd. Bear jaw kills the fish. Please. And she comes back with just this massive fish on her, uh, on her. Just like it's one of the best Twitter. ones we've rolled in this campaign. Yes, fantastic. It's so, rare when one is a victory. Uh, Dan, do you want to kind of uh, go ahead and wrap, give uh, us kind of the rest of your week? He blesses the crops. He because we return back to town. He continues with his plans to hold a feast uh, each night um, uh, before we. Before you know this, basically before we go into the underdark is the way he sees it. Before we go after the pool of souls, he knows that this is what we talked before. Where he 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 uh, he eats during harvest um, to get through to, to to get through the the winter. Um, <clears throat> he blesses the crops of the people around. He hosts with his with the help of his brother, um, making friends with everyone. He hosts these feasts. Feasts moving between each of the three parishes, so that you know each night it's hosted in somewhere else. Um, and he and he talks to the to the people there and says when when they're there. Um, and oh, and and like during the day, he's going out and just growing. Uh, he's doing the, the long term growth, but then he's also taking it, taking hunters out and tracking like a hunter from each parish tracking tracking game to to bring in he knows that it's a lot of work to put on a feast each night but when he can basically provide the 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 meat each night and can basically grow to go to an apple tree and cast a spell and just have it do plant growth for a one term a one time burst of of plant growth like all of a sudden we'll just have the cider flows the cider flows like he he can't um his long-term benefits is a little bit slower, but if he just needs to make a whole lot of uh, of squash, he can he can make that happen. And so he he does that. And when they're eating, he says, <clears throat> "I've blessed your crops. 
um, and providing these feasts uh, with with one requirement. And he says the the lake here is is uh, is sacred. Uh, it is in exchange for for um, these feasts and 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 uh, growing these crops. He says, "Do not sell your crops to anyone who uh, who demands to put a fishing net in Lake Molsentier. And these feasts are not for anyone who would go out and catch fish by the by the boatload." Um, he says, "A uh, a small boat and a and a fishing line." Um, to bring a little back for your family is um, is to to celebrate the lake is uh, is one thing, but to but to plunder to plunder the sea life from Lake Molsentier um, is something that uh, he will he will not allow anyone who prefers to do that um, any of this bounty that he's providing. Are you yeah. angry, trying to persuade the common folk or oh, the yeah. town leaders or who's your target audience here? Um, he's talking to the, uh, to the farmers to basically, um, say you don't, uh, he, he sees it as, um, he's, he wants to destroy the fishing industry. Mm. Um, the new, the well, new, it, it provided a lot more food too, right? Like in terms yeah. of food, here's twice as much of the farmed goods. Let's lay mm-hmm. off the fish yeah. and, you uh, know, Dan, I am going to ask for a persuasion check. Now you have advantage because you have provided a literal feast. Uh, and uh, yeah, I knew this would not be, be the easy part, but he's uh, he's going to go for it. And yeah, the the thinking uh-huh. is he's well, reducing like the need for it. Excellent. Like because... oh. And no matter what, you're going to have an impact. Like okay. it's known. It's just, are you having an impact on fifty percent? And now there's a few fishermen who are going to start sneaking out at night and doing this exactly. against it. Or are you having an effect on everyone? So yeah, uh, he's he's going to be the, he's going to be back in town. This is not a one-off thing. So yeah. he's gonna he's gonna so Dan check the receipts. Quell it helping with his connections with mm-hmm. everyone. Go ahead, so, roll a d twenty each. We'll yeah, take roll mine. I have to switch over the tab oh, to see what I got. There we go. <laughs> There's the one nineteen. What? Oh my god! <laughs> the fact that I hear a noise, I click the button and I hear the noise and have to switch. To, I can't remember I know, which tab it fun. was. Uh, uh, Excellent. Awesome. All right. It wow. is extremely I... effective. Old Squint stands up. Says, Yar, got to admit, some of us fishermen have been too greedy. I did not see that before. May the death of the Kraken of Molson's here give us a pause in our fishing and enjoy the bounty that the good druid Scrimcorn has shown us lies at our feet this whole time. That guy thinking he killed the Kraken okay. of <laughs> That was. Never mind. You know, if she uh, just sends a giant fisher once in a while for them to catch, that, that'll do the job. <laughs> that's another deal. <laughs> just, uh, uh, let's go to Oil Vein. Uh, tell me about Oil Vein's week. And again, if you don't have any uh, big ideas, you can always call upon the bounties of Revel's Lift, and they shall provide. Um, hmm. so far I have the start of something, but in terms yes. of like, yeah, 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 start it. Yeah, dude, let's uh, the oil show for a bit. I'm about summer, it. Summer Kevin talk- has provided oh. many things. <laughs> so we, we just talked about how the, the feast happened. That's that towards the end of the week. It's somewhere in the week. 
somewhere in the, the week. Okay. It seems like the week kind of started with the uh the it's a long feasting period yeah it started with the the fisherman's feast and then scrimcorn kind of extended that through the week with his druidic adventures okay well just i ask is like part of the thing that i'm thinking oil vein did uh also depends on that timeline so. yeah time is fluid okay fits the story uh so after uh, Scrimcorn gave Oil Vane the uh, the bag of gold. He goes to the market, and you know he looks around. And I think one of the things that he first notices is the uh, his usual blackberry vendor. Yeah, and we'll uh, let the markets at this bridge. I like the idea that there's like a, a crossing market at this mm-hmm. bridge. That's kind of like the farmers market. I mean, there's kind of a, a permanent market at. Um, the Opal House, and then there's some silk merchants and such in Red Step, but let's call it the Crossing Market here. I mean, it seems so, like the people from Hawkthorpe typically come down to the rest of the Absolutely. They send wagons or rafts down, but absolutely by raft. So the merchants here, and by the way, the uh, unless you have another idea, the those Ooh, blackberries I are love definitely the idea, Hawkthorpe which I have definitely seen, of, uh, of animal-pulled canal Oh, I love that. Where you have the animals on the shore and the canal and the boat in the middle. I love Yeah, so big pigs watching, walking on the shore, (laughs) pulling rafts of these. Um, So I'm going to have you, uh, we're going to randomly generate the name of the merchant family because I've got a bunch of halfling families here. Um, And uh, I thought I had generated these. Um, let's see, roll a 1d3. It's a two. A two. So this is the, the farming family that raises these blackberries is the, uh, the Hawkard family. H A W K Hawkard family farms, um, who raises the blackberry. So he comes up to the Hawkard blackberry booth. He's a uh, he's a uh, he's still holding the bag of gold, and it's kind of hard to resist the temptation to, you know, refresh his personal supply of blackberries. So uh, he. Uh, he reaches in, he grabs some coins, and uh, runs one coin. He says, oh, I'll take this much in blackberries, please. Uh, they look around, they say, oh, Well, now, well, then we hate to tell you, but we're just about out of blackberries. That's just going to clean us out. Season's winding down, you know? Yeah, we, they're not we available to, year round. We had to give the rest of them over to. Uh, over to Mrs. Uh, over to Mrs. Hawkroot. What's she going to do with them? Well, she works over yonder at a great mother's garden. And Does she's, she eat uh, blackberries? Say that again. Does she eat a lot of blackberries? Oh, she, don't, she doesn't just eat them. She cooks with them. 
She's a, a master chef over there. Well, you, you got to meet her. Uh, oh. Aftermarket today. Come on with us. We'll, we'll raft you over. Do you think she'll sell me blackberries? Is that for you? We look at each other and they say, we'd never say what Vera Hawkroot would do. I mean, I think it's a waste, but sure, if I want I'll go with you. He ends and uh, does Oilvane ride in the raft or does he ride one of the pigs? Uh, he, uh, <laughs> it's a good question. These are big pigs, like huge. They're, they're like horse sized pigs. Horse sized pigs. Terrifying. I don't think he can resist the yeah. chance. A lot, a lot of them. <laughs> How many opportunities do you get? <laughs> yeah. He rides one of the big pigs. It's a it's a gentle creature. And it just, I mean, by the end of it, he's half in love with this pig. It just looks up at him with its tender eyes. Uh, you know, it's not a dirty pig. It's very clean, spotted. And they take him to what looks like a mix of a farm and a church. This actually, this farm acts as a church to uh do, 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 do. let me look it up here um it acts as a church to shante hmm. uh hey who here is worshipped as uh, a goddess of agriculture and the summer hmm. or no agriculture in the fall that makes um and you are introduced in the setting sun to um vera hawkroot she is a halfling um who uh uh she is a halfling with long hair tied into a bun with a, a fork stuck in it she has very nice clothes, although on closer appearance, you do see splotches of gravy and greens from cooking all day. And her hands and her forearms, their sleeves rolled up, proudly bear scars and burns from um, probably her past of learning to cook. And uh, the hawkers introduce you and say, Oh, Vera, uh, this one here was uh, asking about the blackberries. And she says, what do you want with the blackberries? I want to buy them so I can eat them. You want to eat them? Why do you deserve to clean out our blackberries? Well, why do you deserve to clean out the blackberries? I've been eating blackberries all for how many weeks? She says, you're the one. Blackberries have been in short supply. She says, why do I deserve? I am the master chef of Hawkthorn. Hawkthorpe. I mean, Hawkthorn is uh, down the river. I am the master <laughs> chef of Hawkthorpe. I provide foods for our, uh, revelries and ceremonies to Shante. Without me, the mother of fall would not bless us with the bounties we have every year. That is why I deserve the blackberries. I mean, the blackberries are so delicious. You know, I mean, obviously you like the blackberries. Wouldn't you understand? Why someone would want to keep eating the blackberries? She gives you a long look. She says, here's the deal, outsider. You want more blackberries? You work for me. I've got to produce 
45 blackberry tarts three days and my assistant chef is down with the berry runs after eating too many berries that happens that's real (laughs) too deep in the fridge she says what do you think i know you're not from around here you think you can roll up that sleeve and get to work you look like a hungry worker (laughs) i know all about the berry runs But then he's like, well, I mean, kind of. Snoot, because Snoot is the one that usually ends up having to go to the bathroom. It's a weird (laughs) thing with oil veins digestion. But, um, all right, if it means I can get more blackberries, then I'll help you out. She looks at you, she says, you look a little scrawny. Sure, you can stand the heat of the kitchen. I was going to say something about his cloak of summer, but then wait. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I, I can stand yeah. the cold of the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, the heat. I'm already I mean, pretty warm now. Yeah. <laughs> is the cloak of summer like tep- yeah. temperature normalizing? Is it always just pleasantly warm? Is it, does it control the highs and the lows? I thought it only brings wow. it up. I thought it was always yeah. summer there. <laughs> That's a good question. But never desert, wedding never all the time. Like, it gives them resistance against cold, but I don't think it gives them resist like anything against heat. Well, then I think, yeah, it's just keeps you warm. <laughs> he's wearing a turtleneck to the oven. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> overdressed. He's like, the- you shouldn't wear that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, what's he say? I can do it. All right. You Over the next it. few days, you work under the guidance of Vera... Hawk root. And she is a demanding master. She is exceptionally prideful of her culinary arts. Exacting. She's a tough teacher. Speaks loudly at all times, which I wrote down back in the summer. Predating. In addition to the cold damage, you're comfortable as if the temperature were that of a balmy day, so you suffer no ill effects from the weather's temperature extremes. Oh, really? I guess narratively, narratively, I think it... (laughs) So he brings the sweater to the kitchen? Yeah. Oh, Uh, I'm fine. Don't worry. (laughs) You wind up cooking recipes that involve a lot of uh, berries, of course, but she also teaches you how to cook with squash, corn, mutton, fowl, beans, and almost everything is some form of pie. You've got tarts, hand pies, meat pies, big pies, little pies, quiches, all kinds of things. But on the third day, actually, let's see how how he does. Let's see. Uh, tell us about Oil Vane's uh, cooking style here. Uh, well, he's not never been much of a cook. Uh, I, w- I will add that on the first day that uh, Vera caught uh, Oil Vane slacking off a little bit. Sometimes you know he might pick a few berries, or sometimes <laughs> she might catch him like in the, you know, like outside, like talking to someone playing catch with Snoop. Playing catch with Snoot or uh, talking to someone from the West Coast through the speaking oh, thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, Mock <laughs> is a really great guy and, uh, you know, one of my best friends. <laughs> He's downloaded a few apps on the speaking phone, yeah. too. <laughs> He's just stone. Speaking stone, you know, just. <laughs> but he fi- uh, after the first day, he finally, you know, uh, or the first few hours, he finally, you know, puts that stuff away, tells Snoot to, like, do his own thing or, you know, stay put. But uh, but as far as his cooking style goes, uh, he uh, he has a turn in tendency to to burn things. So that might be something he might learn. How need to watch his temperature and you definitely remember how it went in the uh, you know the surgery with you two, the brothers. Yeah, in, ch- in charge of the healing. We, we, we oh, haven't yeah. forgotten. I remember that. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> it sounds like he's kind of trying to kind of pay attention to things, right? Like keeping an eye on the burning, on the timing. So you're going to make three uh, perception checks, one for each day, on how you do with cooking a 12 is going to be passing you know you're not burning anything a 15 would be good and 18 <laughs> is grand like you're you're ready to cook for uh, uh to impress and a 20 is masterful uh Here we go if you get above a 12 on your first day you get advantage on the second day on the second day, if you get above a 15, then you get advantage on the third day. So go ahead, roll for the first penalties day. Penalties or disadvantages on the next day if you do badly on a previous day? Each day is a new day. All she, right. really needs, she really needs the help, dude. She, she's not going to turn him away at this point. He's got zero uh, plus zero to perception, so... That's... He's 19 years old. Ah! 13 passing on the first day, but okay. you know, things he gets a uh, reprimanded for slacking off a little bit and realizes he's got to pay attention. This gives him advantage on the second day. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see, should I just roll 1d22 times or do I roll? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Oh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Wow. So he makes uh, some fantastic buried hearts the second day. What do you feel like turns around for him that second day? Um, he, he has a little kind of scenario that he plays in his head where he's thinking about like when he's in combat and he's like, he imagines like he's trying to, you know, th- throw like burn somebody by using a, like a, like a firebolt or whatever. But then in his head, he realizes, oh, that person didn't deserve that. So he pulls back. So he just has this complicated scenario of like involving him, like attacking somebody, but then realizing he made a mistake. So he feels bad about it. So he has to like, uh, he's imagining the various baked goods as uh, enemies that turn out to not, to not be enemies. Yeah. That makes their uh, like it's a lot of emotions and stuff. It's not like sciencing this magic. It's like how do I feel about this spell? <laughs> Vera takes her spatula, bumps him on the chest, and says, "You've got heart. You're using that to bake. Find the heart of what you're cooking. That's good. Use that." And the third day, you have advantage because you rolled above a 15 to your final 
day of cooking. You got this. Go big. You can get a big O. Yeah. Oh, that berry lord. Taste those berries. Get the 20. Ooh. Whoa. Yes. He continues with the grand cooking. Tell us about the best thing that he cooks or bakes. Uh, he, uh, I think it was the very thing that she mentioned was the, the blackberry, the tarts. Like he was, he was watching those crusts in the ovens and he was, uh, you know, and there were several of them. Like he, he's proud of them because there were like many, many crusts that were in there at the same time and in different ovens that he had to work with. And I think uh, just the fact that he was able to balance, you know, the quality of so many different single pieces of, or, you know, you know, like uh, both large and smaller crusts. So he's, uh, you know, he was bouncing around quite a bit. He may have used Misty Step a couple times <laughs> to get from one side of the kitchen I, to the other. At the end of this, Vera says, when you came into this kitchen... You were a scrawny little blackberry-stained berry boy. <laughs> but now, now you're a berry baker. Says Oil Vane, we had to bake these 45 pies because tonight I'm holding a special ceremony. It is my 45th birthday. And I want you there. I want you there to help me serve Amazing. these delicious tarts that you made. But at that point, the door to the great mother's kitchen suddenly bursts open. And a young halfling woman with a shaved head runs in. She says, Miss Vera, Miss Vera, the, the blight's back. The, the blight vine's back. It's eaten away at our crops. The what? <laughs> She she turns and she says, the, the blight vine, the blight vine. Uh, quick, quick, follow me, follow me. And Vera says, I'll, I'll take care of what's in here. Uh, we have a few more tarts in the oven. Oil vein, go follow her. Uh, oil vein shrugs and runs <laughs> with the halfling. So she leads you over. Let's see, what's a good uh, spring crop for kind of the halfling farms? Mm. Uh, parsnips, potatoes, yeah. cabbages, green beans. Parsnip. Field, vast field, beautiful large parsnips, and she says, oh, "Mr. Oilvane, that's it right there." And she points, and Oilvane sees this vine growing out of the forest at the edge of the field. It's a, a thick purple vine that's going in and out of the ground, but rather than thorns, it has these little tendrils coming from it. You see, those tendrils are going into the parsnips seem to be draining life from them. Any parsnip it touches is withered and shrunken like a little raisin. <laughs> no, she I says, parsnip. a few years ago, well, that, the, the vine came out of the forest and, and it was eating all our pumpkins. We went and tried to beg to the wizard Humphrey to, to help us, but he wouldn't. But that 1369 fella came and he was able to cut away all the vines pretty quick. Hmm. Is that all it takes is cutting away the vines? Well, guess not, because they've grown back. Hmm. Well, we need these parsnips. We need them bad. 
I'll, I'll see what I can do. He goes. He's some stoil vein. He's trying to just walk. At first, he just starts by walking over and pulling at the vines. And also, Snoot is trying to bite the vines and pull on them too. Yeah, when you do so, touching these vines gives you just a shiver. And in fact, you feel slight tug at your soul, and you lose, you take two necrotic damage by touching them. Surely afterwards, 1369 shows up. He was the one who had helped out with these vines last time. They all, someone also sent a runner to him this time, too. And also, I mean... You got the vines? Go get that robot guy. He's showing up for Varys' birthday, right? Well, you know. He'll stay. It didn't know that it was her birthday. <laughs> you know, but it might have shown up anyway. Quell it. You're coming up for the birthday, too, aren't you? The, uh, I think he's well-connected enough to, to merit that invite. And maybe part of that is because last year they didn't invite him and he showed up anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a runner has come as soon as they saw that uh, aunt went to Vera, but her twin sister, Bug, went and sought 1369. Q has come with him. Uh, is Grim a part of this or is this you can choose? I could see him being out, sitting out. I can't think out of this one. Yeah. So, Bug let 1369 and Q know about this, and as they come together, Ant and Bug point at where Oil Vane is <laughs> poking at them and Snoot is growling and, and chewing at them. <laughs> oh, the Black Vines are back. The Black Vines are back. 1369, we thought you'd solved them, but, but they've come back worse than ever. And you see those uh, purple vines trailing off into kind of the thick forest at the edge of this field. Hmm. Oil vein is cursing. My efforts were insufficient. Can you can you just do what you did again, and then maybe we can, you know, just for the time being, to save these parsnips? Do it again. For the short term, I suppose that would suffice. And uh, one three six nine um, grabs a nearby farming implement, you know, just a chunk of metal. Actually, it's most of its body's made of metal. Um, and just you know, begins hacking up the vines. <laughs> Oil vein takes a very smart cue and does as grabs another tool and does the same thing instead of using his hands like a like a dummy. So one three six nine oil vein. As you start to chop these vines, one three six nine. You didn't see this the last time, and these vines are bigger than they were last time as well. But the vines start to react to your chopping, almost like the tentacles, some massive octopus. They start rearing up and, and shooting out at you. Make dexterity saving throws to avoid these vines. Oh goodness! Egregious. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, oil vein as well. Dexterity saving throw. Dirty saving throw. That's much better than Leave. I perceive. Oh yeah, one three six times a monk. Wow, well, they don't get as many amazing saves. <laughs> I think later on they do. <laughs> you both. 
I just completely dodged these vines. Wow, oil vein is a plus five dexterity saving throw. That's amazing. Um, as they start to chop you, and you're able to chop away at them. In fact, both of you go ahead uh, make uh, some melee attacks against these as if you're using a weapon. Because although these are improvised weapons, you're using them against vines, which is what they're supposed to be used for. Perfect. Uh, it will use... Uh, yeah, you can use yeah. this as a monk weapon, in fact. Sure, there we go. Like a comma. A comma is yeah. basically just a sickle, right? Yeah. You know, perfect. A lot of uh, the weapons used in martial arts were used because the peasants weren't allowed to own weapons. So they secretly trained there, with the things they an, just carried around. There's an unarmed strike. There we go. All right, yeah. One through six, nine, you're able to just go to town on these vines, chopping them where they are, finding those spots where they're coming up from the soil or even digging down to the soil, getting them where they're hiding. Uh, oil vein, you can do a, a melee attack with a weapon as well. Let's see, um, it's whatever weapon you're proficient with. He's going to break the staff of power over his head. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one way to get rid of these. What is this? I haven't even looked at his weapon proficiency It's a long time. Uh... Do you have simple weapons? That would probably cover most farming. So are you... Uh, yes. Do you have any weapons in your hands? Like, do you yeah, equip you, a dagger? You want to roll with your strength uh, or dexterity bonus and then add your proficiency. Okay, I think I'll do that. Uh, so, I mean, unless it's a dagger or like a short yeah. sword, you're not going to be able to use dex. But if you can find a short sword or justify something as being a short sword, you might be able to... You know, use hmm. use your dex bonus as like a light weapon. Oh my god, plus five to dex. Oh, that's saving throws. Yeah, it's just gonna be uh, a plus seven. Okay, that's gonna be your. Finesse weapon attack with this. Wow. Ayo. Jeez. So, <laughs> Ants and Bug and Koala, you're watching. <laughs> well, we're able to knock you out done during his week. <laughs> These two characters <laughs> like, off 1369. <laughs> like flipping around. They're like Yoda and uh, Star Wars prequels. It's <laughs> <laughs> <just> like. <laughs> he needs to bake more often. I think that's <laughs> Apparently, this is. <laughs> as these vines. Coming at you, but you just chop them to pieces. Uh, From the look of well, you, I would not have expected you were so proficient in manual labor. Well, it, uh, these last three days have been very, very in, uh, in educational. You were, no, oh, in fact, you know what? You didn't grab a farming implement. You had a cleaver in your, in your like belt from when you were cutting dough earlier. And so you just take out this dough knife and you're just like remembering Vera's instructions on slicing things quickly. It's the first time that it's been the other way around because usually he'll think about violence and as a metaphor for other things, but this is the first time he's thought about something nonviolent. Cooking as a metaphor for violence. Yeah. So he's made some breakthroughs. Well, you were not here the last time of these. Uh, light vines. You'd heard one three six nine had taken care of the issue, and you assumed it was just bad vines. But now that you're here, you definitely get a feeling of uh, of necrotic energies coming from these vines. 
Quella is, it's interesting how kind of cool he plays it. Uh, because if you knew that this was the kind of thing that Quell was interested in, you'd see that he kind of was, you know, very intent and aware of what was going on. But at the same time, very insightful members of the party see that also he's making explicit efforts not to kind of enter the fray. Like, again, you who were introduced to Quellet in like this kind of large kind of high powered combat scenario spells here and darkness and all that like you just you know that this is the opposite of anything he's going to try to portray to the members of the rebels lift community and especially at like an event like this a social event like this he doesn't want to be affiliated with any sort of combat or violence and so he's very kind of standoffish with like the like kung fu vine encounter that's going on in the garden but very drawn, as as uh, Kevin says, to the necrotic energy there and kind of see him kind of staring off into the woods and uh, maybe kind of making a note to find Scrim and head back out there sometime soon. Let's go ahead to that day. The next day. I would say the, that night, in fact. Oh, that night. It there's is nighttime. No, no hesitation in... Uh, Quell it has the quote most of his work happens at night. Again, cover of darkness helps him to maintain the kind of reputation that he wants amongst the folks, uh, not kind of exposing him to the more unnerving elements of his purpose. But uh, you know, Scrim's the kind of guy that would roll with that. So after after Pius served, he he's he's off to find his smelly druidic friend. There are yeah, a lot of so night uh, yep. <clears throat> nocturnal animals. Yeah, they have the birthday party for Safir's birthday party and all the hawk kin are there. You see the uh, hawk roots, the hawkards, uh, the hawk myers, the hawk mirrors, the, uh, the, the hawk veils, the uh, hawk mounts, hawk meisters, uh, hawk meisters, hawk, hawk hills, hawk stones. Mm. Conspicuously, no hawklands. Clints. <laughs> Uh, does Oilvane mention the Hawklands? I think yeah, he does mention the Hawklands. He uh, it's kind of his thing too, in terms of like how he makes friends, and he likes talking about his friends to other people who could potentially be his new friends. Very so says, Now that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Uh, as far as I know, there used to be Hawklands here a long time ago. I think they sit out west to find their fortunes. In fact, and she checks with someone, isn't the old uh, Hawkland place still abandoned? And uh, Bug and Ant say, yeah, uh, uh, everyone figured they'd be back soon, so no one bought it from them. It's just been standing out there. Hmm. I wonder, uh, I wouldn't mind checking that out and looking at it in the case I see some Hawklands in the future, and then I could tell them about the fact that I saw their farm, their abandoned farm, and and maybe, you know, cleaned it up a, a bit or something like that. Or <laughs> Vera says, land should be still good if you put some muscle into it. Oh, I, and, could, uh, I, could, I tell, could tell my friends, my other friends about it, and maybe we can try to make something of it. Uh, uh, farming. Have a go of this farm life. <laughs> I would demand trying to grow some blackberries myself. She laughs. Says, oh, from what I've seen, you can learn to do anything, Oil Vane. 
And uh, she says to new friends, and they all raise a glass of blackberry wine (laughs) and toast to these new friends who have come into town. One through six nine holds a glass awkwardly. (laughs) (laughs) Just like (laughs) splashes it on his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Lily clenches his hands. Knuckles crack. So powerful. (laughs) He's been able to, the, the voice in his head that tells him that he's not. That he's a terrible person. He's uh, he's able to like over. You know, amazing. <laughs> you're really good. You're terrible, but you're good at baking. <laughs> that right, night, you're good at that. <laughs> once the <laughs> festivities that. die down, oil veins, scrimcorn, one three six nine and Q gather at the edge of the forest where the vines had trailed from. See the dark. Forest, you hear an owl, breach of a bat, rustle of critters, underbrush. What are you doing? Why have we gathered? Hugh kind of lowers his hood, and uh, you see kind of like the glint of metal armor underneath his, you know, his Holocaust cloak that typically covers his garb. He says. Hmm. My new friends, it's time for more serious business. Let us find the root of these, the root of the evil here. For these are not natural plants. I'm looking at Scrim, and he says, I says, if we can track together the the energies of this blight vine and uh, follow the trail of that which is disturbed in nature, Perhaps we might together locate the source of this ill. And ideally, most importantly, and he says it with a very hard tone, put that to rest. 1369 calling again upon his long history in this town. Uh, is how, how often have these blight vine incidents occurred over the years? Um, it has been, uh, when, when 1369 first came, it was once every dozen years, Hmm. but now looking back, he's recognizing a pattern that is becoming more and more common. The last one was just like two years ago. Hmm. And now he thinks about each time they were larger. They have been getting worse over the years. It is somewhat concerning. The townsfolk do seem to rely on the parsnips and blackberries and other crops that they grow to live. The violence of today is a first for me. I typically focus more on the the people and their afterlives more so than the crops with which they tend to this is an unexpected turn of events Grim is already leaning down not sitting down this time but maybe on his knees and pressing his hands into the ground whispering pleading with the with the spirits of the land this might just be a spell scrim starts casting a whole lot with nature, we're focused on Excellent. one, keep a little more focused. <clears throat> Prevalent it. plants, minerals, animals, or peoples within three miles. 
He wants to know if he can sense anything uh, significant about just this this blight vine. Specifically, it gets the sense that it's not natural, but kind of wants to absolute clarity on that. If it's at its root unnatural, or if it's a natural plant being manipulated, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what he's trying to hone in on. So, prevalent plants and animals here. You sense that this is uh, just a uh, very common, like pine, uh, oak forest, and more towards the oak forest um, bay, and kind of forest you'd get around here. Uh, your standard creatures of yeah, a few wolves, maybe a few sleepy bears, or hungry bears by now, um, but nothing that dangerous here. But that blight vine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you uh, a, one of these for free here. Um, that blight vine is throughout this forest. It has trailed out here, but this is the very edge of it, and it has completely infected this forest. And furthermore, there is a very powerful plant that he senses. Something Scrimcorn has actually encountered before: a Golthias tree. And he remembers Sunless Citadel and the massive tree worshipped by an evil, I think an evil druid. Yeah, I think it was. That had transformed and enthralled the adult children of the Kreli. Yeah. (laughs) Wherever there are good farms and kindly halflings, there will be an evil Golthias tree. Anywhere there are adult children, there's adult children. human children. Adult human children. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's searching for. It's like halflings. No, I want adult human children. Yeah. Scrim uh, kind of takes a gasp as he kind of senses the same, what I think of as like, actually, yeah, so he, he, he gathers this from, after he asks this, he kind of looks for signs in the land. And I imagine is honestly, um, just maybe a uh, uh, an odor, like a flavor. If you ever, if you've ever had a one of those memory triggering triggering mm-hmm. odors where you smell something, and I, you know, um, I got a thing I'll talk about afterward where that happened to me, and I was like, oh my god, I didn't realize this was this was what my grandparents' house smelled like. Um, like being yeah, like have that thing. overwhelming thing where you're like, oh, I didn't realize it was rose incense all these years. And it connects anyway. you to memories, even parts of memories that you hadn't thought of in so long. It was like I didn't realize these were connected, and like it was that. And so I think that there's that effect of like maybe the trees, maybe a, a breeze comes, and he smells something, and it is something from that time going into those caves in the Sunless Citadel. And when we're in the presence of the Golthias tree and there's maybe like a stink, a rot to it, there's a very specific kind of rot. And he kind of smells that and realizes that. And he turns to the others and says, <clears throat> this is quite an ill omen. This, this vine spread through this whole forest. There'll be no, there'll be no hacking at its fingertips. We must get to its heart and at its heart and he looks to his brother um because yeah the other two are companions here looks to his brother and says at its heart it's a gold bias tree oh yeah (laughs) 
Damn. <laughs> oh yeah. Go looks to, tree. Looks to his uh, the the newer companion says, <clears throat> "We've dealt with one of these before. It was not a simple matter." And what? How was it cured? What was its purpose? Why is it here? The tree itself was an evil, but it was maintained and nourished by evildoers in its service. I can't speak to its purpose or why it's so close to Revel's Lift, but this would not be a service to the town. This would be a vital action to save it. We must do something about the Galthias tree. Let us go and keep wary for any, 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 the purpose of, of any who might be behind this tree. For a natural occurrence, it seems not. And a, you know, the, the appearance at this time, an unlikely coincidence. There's likely more story to be told here than, than the you know, rebellion of nature itself. You know well my concerns with the uh, energies of this town. Perhaps just one more manifestation of that. You nods. Do we require materials? Poison? Fire? Axes? Just for a moment, um, for uh, out of character question, uh, for a little history lesson. I thought there was something with the Galthias tree where it was related to a vampire. Am I That's like what I recall was... too? Like there was a buried vampire and the tree grew out of its corpse. That's what I vaguely, vaguely recall. Something like like I believe that is true. And is that um what I should say is was that the story of the origin of the evil Sunless Citadel Galthias tree, or is that just what's in common with Galthias? Make a trees? nature check. No, good point. Um Whip. That's weak. Damn. All right, I'm going to roll randomly. Uh, it is unique to the Sunless Citadel. Hmm. As far as Scrim knows. Yes, it can. <laughs> it could have been a vampire. It could have just been like, you know, a weird evil plant that's been corrupted somehow. Yeah, was, yeah I mean, Sunless Citadel was some weird shit. Um, uh, I would say prepare for battle. And... Did we end up just destroying the tree? We didn't do. There wasn't a, like a ritual. Make an arcana do. check, since no. you have studied the necromantic creatures of the world. Oh, oh there we go. There we go. It's funny that the druid. I mean, it seems like well, it's going to know something about necromancy. Um, uh, that's true. Actually, yeah, he might. Uh, he might know. Wait, but, was uh, that? Twenty on the Arcana check. Oh, I was asking Quellet to make one, but oh. that can be advantage working with Scrimcorn there. Yes, Scrimcorn says totally fine. I'll see if this works. It here. was like a brownish gray. <laughs> Had some roots so we'll, on it. We'll say we'll take that nineteen that Dan rolled and then add it to his uh, plus and five add it to your plus five. So Quellet, <clears throat> when Scrimcorn brings up the gold die strain, a memory of a vampire, Quellet definitely knows. That a Gothias tree grows where a vampire has been buried and staked and actually grows from that stake what? when the vampire spirit is still too strong to quell. 
Quellet pulls a wooden stake out of his pack. He has one. He has several in his inventory. Scrim raises an eyebrow. And hands them out. <clears throat> and then takes his shield off his back from inside his holocaust cloak and draws a dark sword from it. <laughs> through his pact as a hexblade. And said, <laughs> now we are prepared for battle, Master Druid. I'm holding the, the stake. Yeah. Uh, Heading into the forest. <clears throat> One through six, nine. Spends a key point to see in the dark. Yeah. Do his eyes glow? Uh, no, because oh. it's focused oh. on being sneaky. Uh-huh. Maybe it glows a under a certain wavelength of light. Do his eyes switch over to other eyes? If you were to shine lights in its eyes, they would glow like you were shining a light in some other nocturnal animal's Ooh, eyes. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, you'd start the, heading the into this dark forest. Then ahead, see a strange glow. The trees here are a bit thin and in circles. And Scrimcorn knows that when trees grow like this, it's often because other trees have been cut down in the past. These are trees growing from their roots. Mm. You see some dim firelight ahead. It's not a bright orange like firelight would normally be. It's almost like firelight where the color has been drained from it. Up ahead, you see it's like a camp of halfling woodsmen. They're sitting about, even though it's late at night, they're sitting about the fire rubbing their hands together. Their hands are shivering, putting their hands out of this pale fire. It is not that cold of a night. It is a springy night. The beginning of spring, so there's a bit of a chill in the air. The way they're acting and wrapped up in uh, coats, scarves, and knitted cat gloves is as if they are in the dead of winter. You're kind of spying this from a little further off. You haven't really announced yourselves yet. Some kind of motion with him, looks around as. Are you going into this camp or avoiding it? 1369 offers. Uh, I can conceal our presence if we wish to approach stealthily. Quella just nods. Tim with oil vein. Uh, from. 1369, and this is much more of a sort of revealing its magical artificial origins from the Underdark. A veil of silence and shadows just radiates from it, uh, masking you and your companions from detection. Hit that. I'll pass without trace. All right, you can make stealth checks at a plus 10. <clears throat> uh, Quellet simply says, shall we gather some more information on on uh, these forest dwellers? I am suspicious of all who are in who live in the forest in the presence of this tree. Just get close and listen in. And then he looks to Oilvane 
and down at the spyglass that sits on his belt. <laughs> and then he he looks down and is like, "Oh, did you want to did you want to borrow this?" He says, "Yes." Yeah, he pulls it out and he he hands it over uh, freely, you know, without without any uh, uh, reservation. Oh, here you go. Uh, yeah, well, it's gonna take a look. All right, so you're just taking a look from kind of far off right now. All right, go ahead and make a perception check, Quellet. Hey, you see uh, about two dozen halfling woodsmen here in their kind of camp set up. You see, you know, tents and uh, and gear and piles of wood. Um, and again, they're all just completely bundled up in clothing. Uh, you can't quite hear them from here. You hear some kind of mournful singing happening, but just you can't make out the words. Um, but you see there's a group of them who are standing around in a circle, and they seem to be whittling something out of wood, um, or a couple of them are. Um, and as you look closer with your spyglass, focusing <laughs> it more... <laughs> Uh, you see one of them is making stakes out of the pieces of wood, the knife. These guys are so bundled up that you can't actually see any skin. Even their faces are wrapped in scarves and knitted caps and such. Um, but you can't hear them from here. You'll have to get closer to hear them. Are you guys approaching stealthily? Oh, yeah. All right. Go ahead and make your stealth oh, checks. Yeah. You get a plus 10 from Pass Without Trace. Got 24, 20, 20, 25, and a 26. Well, 36. Uh, oh, 36. Yep. So the lowest is 20. Lowest is 20. Oh. Okay. Start to get closer. Uh, magically, your footsteps just, uh, you know, silenced. Your uh, your body's uh, shrouded by this darkness, and you are hearing voices of that group that's standing around. And you hear them saying, "We know what we have to do, Master Hawkswain. He's always been a cruel master, but this is too much." And another one says, "It's that traveler, traveler who came with us." I swear he did something to Master Hawkswain. And the one who's carving the stake says, that ain't Master Hawkswain no more. And then the one with the stake looks up, and as he looks up towards you, hearing something or sensing something in the darkness, you see his scarf slips, and there is nothing beneath. He has a hollow outfit the hat the scarf the cloak the gloves just suspended in mid-air says there's something out there master hawksway has come for us already like he came for hawk belly and hawk stone already so here's an interesting thing where 
it is a group check, but in fact, it was Quellet that had the low roll. Yes. And he can, at will, take an action and turn completely invisible. Excellent. And so, so he just senses the attention. He simply stops and disappears where he is. And he can't move like that, but he can stay that way as long as he wants. I love it. And the shadows just kind of, like, emerge from him, and he just turns into darkness and then nothing. The uh, He holds. The figure at the stake looks. Ready. Rally the others. Tonight, we will kill Master Hawkswain. And they, they start walking around, talking. Now that you see them up close, you see all of them are the same. Coats and jackets and scarves and such, but no bodies within them. And again, you see the fire itself pale and flickering as if there is, as if it is, you know, not an ordinary fire, a pale reflection of fire. And the, the, uh, the, the little shanties that they've set up, the tents and all that, they too just have like a paleness about them. Um, the halflings are kind of uh, starting to grab at the things they have, picks and, uh, and knives and other uh, woodsmen's tools that could be used for this strange nefarious purpose. Are you guys just watching or is anyone taking action? Two, one, three, six, nine. What's that? Do these names that are being said, they mean Make another re- history check. You recognize a lot of them from just the names of the surnames of the Hawkkin in the valley. Oh, really not. Nothing. Yeah. Not, not a clue. Can I, can I assist with that, though? I mean, these are similar circles. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to hit, hit history. I think his, his scream is kind of looking to as like. Not, not a lot for you, Sam. So, yeah, man. these are just. These are names you've heard before, not Hawkswain. You haven't heard Hawkswain before, but you've heard the others. Honestly, Hawk Belly, Hawkstone. Kind of all blends together after a bit. <laughs> who, who can really keep track? There's just so many families. I guess Scrim maybe would be uh, close by to uh, Quellet, who, who he feels like has kind of had the most... Um, deep desire to to in the world in the in the life of in the business of cleansing um and and freeing these these spirits like this um and even if he's invisible uh maybe just scrim kind of <clears throat> whispers in his direction <clears throat> is it going to be now or never yeah uh The instinct is to hold and see what's going on. Like we have time on our side, and and Quellet simply says, "We must not act out of turn." And I do not know who they are, or what they intend. Like Quellet specifically speaks with the dead. Like a, an invisible pile of robes doesn't necessarily say even mean someone dead given how often Quellet spends completely invisible himself, what does he perceive here in these creatures? Like, are these spirits? Like, are, is the Make an arcana check. And we'll do just that. These are definitely g- 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 ghosts. 
he senses the presence of unrestful spirits. And what you see now is they're kind of going around. There seems to be a disagreement. You hear a few of the ghostly spirits saying, we kind of hurt Master Hawkswain. He's our master. He pays our wages. One of them says, Hawkmouth, you're a coward. He has paid nothing but blood the last few days. Ever since he had that fight with that traveler, that's no longer our master Hawkswain who we once knew. And then uh, a good portion of them say, onwards, onwards. We must act while we have the courage before this night gets any colder. And they start to leave. And as they leave, the ones who are still sitting there, who refuse to go with them, start to fade away. The campfires start to fade away. The little shanty tents start to fade away as they start to walk off into the forest. Are you following? Certainly. And ever, like, it's a strange connection that Quillet has for he specifically connects with the bodies of those passed away. And his speak with the dead is something that he acts on corpses themselves. So he, he, he follows the spirits to learn more of them, but he is looking for the evidence of those bodies that were buried, that he might commune with them on his own terms, if possible. You continue to follow this ghostly retinue as they go through the forest, saying, up there, up there, his cabin is there. But as they get close, suddenly you hear a terrible howling. And from the darkness emerge wolves. No, the shades of wolves. Simply shadows of wolves coming from the darkness and one by one felling these uh, these halfling ghosts who vanish beneath the force of these wolves. And then a shriek of bats, the shade of bats coming down, swarming about the halflings. So you see them trying to defend themselves, but unable to. Only one makes it through the one originally carving the stakes and stake in hand you see he runs into the darkness as these other bodies disappear are you staying here or following him press on through well it leads you after this lone figure you're barely following him through the darkness and he's just muttering beneath his breath the future of the valley for the future of the valley until you see before you a cabin torn in two a tree that looks like it has been twisted by giant hands thorns covering its bark bursting from the center of it the single lone halfling looks back you see his empty face sees there are none still with him, and he shouts out, Hawkswain, I'm putting you in the ground, as he charges into towards this uh, cabin, steps up to where the door once stood, and vanishes. And you stand now, the old cabin of Hawkswain, just completely falling apart, obviously hundreds of years old the wood rotted into just barely recognizes timbers the foundation just cracked into rubble and this lone goldias tree standing in the middle of it now scrimcorn oil vein you see this goldias tree is nowhere near as big as the one in the sunless citadel 
but it stands here. What's that? I said poor horticulture is to be blamed. Yeah, you see, it's not been tended by a druid, but you see its roots are that same purple as the vines that were in the valley. This is it. This is it. The heart of the beast. Perhaps, (laughs) Perhaps a vision of the past when the vampire was slain? An echo of suffering, surely, for the, the, the pain of those unrestful spirits lingers so long, so much longer. These are spirits that have yet to make their way through, that, through the shadow fell, cannot find their rest. So they linger in that plane and, and return here intermittently, bringing suffering to others as they continue the suffering of, uh, of, uh, in, their own, in their own souls. He looks to uh, Scrim and Oilvane, saying, and, and how to put down this tree, for I would, I would incline to find the body of these fallen dwarves, but it seems that there may be something other sinis- in it, holding them to this place in a sinister way. Hmm. I know little of trees or ghosts. <clears throat> What do we do, brother? I think the tree, the tree we dealt with before, was a slightly different, different nature. Well, I think banishing spirits is more your affair. This is not a natural tree of... This tree is not natural in any way. He says, then let us destroy that which lies beneath it. For if its power comes from uh, an undead foe, that I do have an inclination against. And he looks he looks to the uh, the building and begins to circle around and uh, kind of prepares for battle to to close in on the tree from all sides. He legit had a had a, ba- a, a bundle of nine wooden stakes in his backpack, and he's distributed <laughs> those. So we all have ample uh, <laughs> materials. Taken time. So as you circle, you see the ground starts to quiver a bit. And then the rubble that is this building just cracks and falls apart, falls apart more as massive vines reach up from the soil around the tree. Its roots reaching up to strike at this life that is nearby. What do you guys do? Let's uh, let's go one at a time here. Let's start with uh, one three six nine. Okay. Uh, one three six nine sees a physical enemy that it has dealt with once before in the form of wiggling, attacking roots and tries to dodge the roots and at the same time hack them to bits. Great. Make your attack. Uh, we'll use we'll use unarmed strike just because weird magical things should be destroyed with weird magical attacks. Eh, not the best, not the worst. 
you are able to chop away at this vine, destroying one vine. However, as you do so, you do take a little damage back. You take 14 necrotic damage as you're chopping at this. Other smaller vines are just draining the life from your body. Finally, you're able to just hack through one of the major vines. Oil vein. Uh, oil vein. He's, uh, I mean, normally he, you know, he uses his just destructive spells to like in excess to try to like damage things. And but he spent the last few days holding back. But he's going to take this opportunity to start, you know, trying to push that forward again. So he starts off by uh, casting, uh, again, Azar's Scorcher, which just creates a line of fire. Uh, that'll just uh, go straight through, you know, the uh, the uh, the tree. Are you attacking the vine or the tree itself? Uh, he's trying to uh, get or through. Or both, because it's both. a line. Okay, yeah. great. Is that a saving throw or an attack roll? It's a saving throw. So All dexterity. Right, is... right, here is the vine's saving throw. Got a 13. The tree automatically fails. Oh, great. All um, right, go ahead. Roll your damage. So that's going to be... Uh, 20 damage. 20 All fire right. damage. Fire damage. The vine and tree seem vulnerable to this fire damage. The vine just shrivels up, and the tree itself just bursts into flames. You hear a terrible shriek. Is it steam escaping from inside of this tree or something far worse? And the vines turn even more aggressive, attempting to pull life from wherever they can. Oil vein, make a dexterity saving throw. Dexterity saving throw. You leap backwards as more of these vines burst from the ground, avoiding their life-draining abilities. Scrimcorn, we're going to you, and then while the tree is on fire, there are more vines bursting from the ground, trying to seek life wherever it can. Vines are going after his friends. Scrimcorn's job is to lock down enemies and prevent his friends from being attacked. He sees vines Specifically going after his brother, who's cast a spell. <clears throat> and Scrimcorn takes a deep breath. And rears up and takes the form of... Oh, Kaelin's watching. The cave bear! <laughs> Which I think the cave bear is the stats what it is. That's the stats I, I imported here for a guy. Um, uh, a massive standing beast. Standing on its hind legs here. What and, is the uh, size category? It, gets, uh, it, is, it is a large beast. Um, I think it might be. I gotta look at it. anyway. This is what I'm gonna use for today. Dire bear, but keep going. It takes a massive sweep with one of its claws and bites down with its teeth, specifically going after the vines that are uh, closing in on its allies. So can I just do? If I do bite, does it pop the whole thing? Okay, this this is. Oh yeah, there's the roll, and then there's damage. Okay, and then I'll do that as well as claws. It's like I'm a DM. Um. Highest rolls. 
All right, however, you're, you're just trying to hit vines. No. You're slashing at these vines. Um, as the, you do so, um, the vines start to wrap around you, uh, draining life from you. And even though you're able to slash at the vines, even more are able to crawl onto your fur and just these tiny little vines piercing your skin. You take 17 necrotic damage. But you are able to draw the vines away from your brother as this big ball of life is right there attracting all these vines. (laughs) And quell it. The Goliath tree is burning. This cave bear is slashing at the vines. Uh, you see Quellet kind of shedding his Holocaust cloak fully, of head to toe in his black armor with his shield and shadowy blade. And you hear him kind of whisper a few words in a very kind of, oh, does anyone here speak? Deep speech or primordial? Speech Oil is under common, but I don't think that's deep speech. Speak Oil is deep speech. Oil vein hears some deep speech and some of another ancient language being spoken. <laughs> and uh, the spirits that uh, that you just witnessed in a vision kind of revivify and come to quell its aid. He's casting a spirit shroud. These, uh, these good spirits energized with radiant energy form kind of a, a protective cadre around Quellet and empower his attacks and stave off some of the, the vines as he moves quickly to the aid of the bear, slashing through vines with his, with his blade. Um, how much, how mechanical are we doing? Should I just do one roll and we'll do some damage or what do you want me to do? Like, yeah. So what I'm doing right now is if you're doing an attack roll, a certain amount fails and you take damage, a certain amount succeeds and you take damage and a certain amount succeeds without taking damage. If we have like multiple attack rolls, do you want us to molt roll multiple attack rolls or just one attack roll? Uh, Just do one attack roll right now. Tracking damage too much. Yeah, that makes sense. I will do an attack roll. So quick. Uh-huh. Right. You slash in with your hex blade, chopping away those spirits of the halfling woodsmen surrounding you and protecting you from any vines, themselves holding saws and knives and axes, chopping at the vines that come near, somehow reaching through. The shadow fell where they're trapped to the physical world to chop at these vines. And with that, you chop a final vine, and then you hear a massive crack. And you see the tree splits, falls down, slamming into the bare remains of the roof of this cabin, which also erupts in flames and then starts to die down into coal. The woodsmen, the, the ghosts of the woodsmen surrounding you, Quell, silently point to the split open trunk of this tree, which, as you watch, is just crumbling into charcoal. And you hear them right. say, down, down below the roots. 
Crowley doesn't hesitate, but removes a stick, and he closes <laughs> with the intent to return this nefarious creature to the plane from whence it came. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, you see there are still bits of this trunk to get uh, there. Perhaps uh, the cave bear and 1369 work together to clear the the burnt roots and bits of tree. And then beneath, in a slight hollow, you see the taproot of the tree feeds into a wooden stake that is stuck in a corpse that doesn't look like it has aged a day. It has not rotted. It's not home to maggots. You see a halfling dressed in nicer clothes than these woodsmen. And his face is pale, hair black. His lips, however, are bright red. And as Quellet stands over it, eyes open, blood red, and his lips part, and you see two sharp fangs. Quellet, make your attack. <laughs> he does. Halfling vampire! Oh, this guy's prone, so you get advantage. Tiny yeah. vampire. vampire child. <laughs> See if that works. Ah. Uh, no, it just did the damage. Okay. That's fine. Let's do a... Uh, what is the... Oh, yeah. I, I got to do a weapon attack, so let's just do this. This succeeds. Tell us what this looks like. I think you'll come up with a cooler description than I would. Yeah, yeah, he will. So, just remind me, there's already a stake in it, or yeah, it? yeah, there was a stake in it that was the root of the tree. It That's seems it. that uh, what Quellet knows is that this vampire's power was too great for just that to kill him. He casts aside his 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 uh, stake of the earth, and he goes for something more sinister. And you see, you see his kind of body wreathed in flames as the power of the shadow fell spills out from him. And that haunted inner torment that is so often just behind those, those kind of innocent and peaceful eyes comes rushing out. The wind picks up and you hear the howling of, uh, of damned souls. You hear the endless marching of souls walking their way through the shadow fell to their final resting place. And as all these kind of ghostly and ter terrible sounds kind of begin to rush forward, the, the, the kind of color of this, uh, of his black blade kind of flares, both, uh, both large and changes for just a moment from something kind of dark and sinister to pure and kind of perfectly pale white. And he drives that white sword down into the uh, the uh, uh, the corpse of this vampire, and he looks him straight in the eye, and he says, "He says, get thee from whence thee came, and this time stay there." The vampire 
shrieks and you see him being pulled into the shadow fell before he goes shriek turns to laughter says too late too late I passed on my curse and then <clears throat> he's pulled away from the mortal realm banished as this is happening, you see there is kind of a, a gateway to the Shadowfell made here for a moment. And suddenly those woodsmen appear all around you and marching in line following the sounds of footsteps Quell had summoned. You see them marching two by two through this gate, singing an old halfling woodsman's song that echoes out somberly into the forest. The week goes on. <laughs> and word spreads of what these strangers in town have accomplished. The feast, contact with the bog woman, fighting back the blight vine and the old legend of Master Hawkswain, who had made a bad deal with a traveler and lost his soul. And as these legends... No, 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 oh, yeah. uh, no shocker that they really put up the gate and built up their walls high after, you know, <laughs> some asshole came through and turned some one of their farmers into a bad experience. <laughs> Can't take no yeah, chances. Maybe when Humphrey Dumphrey came, it's like, hey guys, I want to kind of take you away from the mortal world. They were like, yeah, it works for us. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard what happened? The door behind you. <laughs> uh, um, as the week ends, you receive an invitation uh, uh, from couriers that says, you are invited to the grand opening of the reliquary of Revel's Lift. When you make your way one spring day to the Wizard's Tower. For the Wizard's Tower, there is another stone tower that Drewston had made. But now there's something that looks almost like a circus tent set up in front of the Wizard's Tower. As you make your way through, you come into that library you had seen before, but has been transformed. Instead of merely books in the shelves, there are artifacts from your journeys. Bottles of monster bits preserved. Uh, bits of weaponry and uh, from the devils of Deepa Mascar and such. And you hear Drewston's voice in the center where you had seen Dumfries' lab, and he calls for you. In here, in here, I've, I've figured it out. I've figured it out. You make your way in, and you see Drewston. He looks like he has not been sleeping in a while. Big bags under his eyes. And he's drawn a circle on the ground in chalk. And you see arcane sigils and runes and such. And he says, I'll know it. I'll know how to create the... The teleportation circle, it was here all along. The key to it was the one thing that Master Dumfrey did nay care about. 
it's this place. It's the stories of this place. And you see he has written on little pieces of paper stories of Revel's Lift, of the silk farmers of Red Step, the flower farmers of Lotus Glade, of the hog riders of Hawkthorpe, including some of the things that you guys have been up to in the last week. It's almost like a, a reliquary or museum in miniature. And he has placed these stories and sketches around the circle. And he gives you a little tour telling you about each one, some of the things he's learned of the small little valley. And he says, in order to, to teleport to a place, you need to know it. Not just the location, not just its arcane signature, but the story of the people who have been there. The people who have made it what it is. This this little valley here has a history to it. Even if Master Dumfrey could never recognize it. But I have. And then he focuses for a moment. Uh Say that again, Sam? He did not leave the tower very much. Nay. Perhaps that's the key to it. And he focuses for a moment. He says, this teleportation circle will be a tribute to Revel's Lift and all who live here and make it such a place. And saying those words, the chalk circle starts to glow. And those papers float into the air and start to circle around it. And Drewson looks at you and says, is done. And that's where we'll continue next it's week. Done. It's done. Sweet. That's amazing. That's amazing. We have the uh, we have a teleportation circle to a place where you can't get otherwise. I like that. Yes, I had no idea what we would do tonight, but that worked out. All right. Oh, Very I, uh, cool. I loved it, man. I loved like the, you know, the walk in history through the Lotus Glade, the actual, the Lotuses that remain there. You know, I don't know. What what do you call someone? Like the green thumb is the gardener. What's the th- color of the thumb who's a, the baker? <laughs> yeah, the flower <laughs> the, thumb. The white yeah. thumb, a flower. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I mean, it's a blackberry baker. Maybe like the purple thumb. Yeah. After the, the after thumb Kevin. The pie. <laughs> After he rocked multiple rolls in a row of the baking, okay. it was that like, was hey, crazy. there's some vines. Uh, <laughs> how, how do you, like, you're not really, like, just, like, the punching, like, just melee attack guy, but how do you do? And he just, <laughs> like that, and just, uh, I mean, fantastic. a hero of domestic arts. It's true. I was not expecting that to happen at all. I was like, he was just like, oh, what did he do in his uh, last, the last week? And I'm like, I don't know, he ate a lot of blackberries. <laughs> 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 <laughs>